services. Yeah, I'm calling for some test results. Doc Hayward said I could just call you up and... and what test was it for, sir? What's it for? Yes, please, sir. It was for a... Siemens Analysis. Brennan. Andy. I'm sorry, I can't hear you, sir. Sorry. Brennan. Andy. Yes. Uh, could you go slow? I want to write all this down. Oligospermia. Oligospermia. That's right. That sounds terrible. I have that? No, sir. You have that. Oh, I had it. Uh-huh. It means too few... Too few... Sperms. Very good, sir. You mean I'm cured? Doc says there are not just three men on a fishing trip. They're a whole damn town. Yeah, I know what that means. It means they're not really real people. They're a... Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm a whole damn town! Drop it! Duncan and both come correct. On the count of three... One, two. Hey, everyone. See, I was sneaky. Uh, that's how you get uh, your co-host to go off sides. <laughs> it's uh, it's Duck and Bo go to Twin Peaks. I am one of your hosts, uh, Bo. Uh, with me, as always, is the other half of the silliness, Duncan. Yes, Bo. The L's are not what they seem. No, no, nor is this podcast. Um, they're actually they're actually squirrels with painted on wings. <laughs> all right, speaking of, <laughs> I love it. You know what I love about this show? You know what I love about podcasting, you boys. Regardless how ludicrous I go, you'll just run with it. I, I, it's, it's a rare gift. It's a rare, rare gift you have, and it's one that that gives me endless joy. Please tell me where you're going with this. I, I don't know. Well, no, I was going to say because of uh, rodents in disguise, much like Transformers. <laughs> Transformers, rodents in disguise. The difference being that one spreads typhoid in <laughs> the plague and the other one is a, Michael a, a Bay robot. <laughs> so... I suppose, I suppose, yeah, like, the Michael Bay movie spread cinematic aids, so. I saw, <laughs> speaking of, I saw the, um, the trailer, finally, for that new Transformers The Last Night movie, <sighs> and that looks like the biggest pile of horseshit ever committed to film, and I mean, yes, I am including Bloodshack <laughs> in that equation. <laughs> what, what do they have over Anthony Hopkins? What do they have over him? I don't understand this. Anthony Hopkins just redeemed himself after years of of like lesser quality Hannibal Lecter movies by doing Westworld, where he was legitimately amazing, and he's going to sully that by appearing in the new Transformers movie, of which he's been recently quoted saying that he thinks Michael Bay is actually a really interesting director, one of the best he's ever had the privilege of working with. And I'm like, what do they hold over you? Do they have like some like? some picture of you tickling a chicken or something i don't i don't know (laughs) as someone who has tickled many a chicken um i don't think that's against the the law and the chickens seem to love it 
<laughs> right. They're just... <laughs> uh... <laughs> uh, but all right, but the the rodent thing. Here's what I was getting at is uh you know we've we've been beginning the shows with it with just kind of a quick discussion of movies what we watched mm-hmm. and i just last night saw guardians of the galaxy volume two. Oh, how was that it was a delight sir uh see that james gunn he said he's he apparently is the real deal yeah what uh, and if, if memory serves, I know you're not the biggest Marvel fan in the world or Marvel Studios fan in the world, but you enjoyed the Guardians of the Galaxy. I thought Guardians of the Galaxy is the best thing that the Marvel name has been attached to. I, I, I genuinely think it's I, I think it's an incredible movie. I think it does everything right. It's like one of those, like to me, that whole idea of bringing something from a comic and making it into an adventure on screen is completely encapsulated in Guardians of the Galaxy. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing the second one. I've just not had a chance to get out to see it yet. I would say it is it is not as good as the first one because it doesn't have the the freshness of of the mm-hmm. original. You know these characters now. Um you know, you don't get those kind of surprises. That said, uh I found I found it to be incredibly funny. Uh, it's probably funnier than the first one is. And it has, much like most James Gunn movies, there is such an element of heart, like kind of a surprising amount of, of uh, emotionality uh, to the proceedings, to the point where um, by the end of the movie, I, I rolled a tear or two. Not not afraid to say it. You always roll a tear. Not always. Like uh, you always. Know, every movie you I've ever seen, up to and including uh, Airplane, uh, <laughs> makes me weep at the end. But but the point was that um, the there was a, a girl um, in the row in front of me that was sobbing at the end of this movie. Oh, no. It was wonderful. Because you know, like I, I'll lick the 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 tears of a child <laughs> off their cheek. You know, like I love sorrow, and seeing this movie just reduce someone. And like it was, I I heard a little sniffling. And I was like, I get that. I mean, this is kind of an emotional ending to this movie. And then it became like it went past the <laughs> to. Uh, 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 and I was just like, oh my god. Like, this girl has been fucking leveled by this movie. <laughs> and it was terrific. Um, so I enjoyed that. So it, if you want to see a movie where potentially someone in the audience is going to cry like they're at a funeral uh, and also be very, very funny, I my, and also have Kurt Russell in it, mm-hmm. which is great. I, I did know that which it makes me incredible. The the return of Kurt Russell to many screens at the moment, even though he's in a couple of movies that uh, I probably will never watch, like the Fast and Furious movies now, um, makes me happy, though, because I, I just like the idea that Kurt Russell is just working. Uh, that, you know, there's a, a degree of comfort that comes along with that. Um, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to checking it. I've heard nothing but good reviews about it. From people that I know are sceptical of the the kind of greater Marvel universe, 
much like myself, I've come back and said that, you know, it's the it's the blockbuster Marvel movie that you want to go and see at the cinema because it does take you on a roller coaster ride and that's kinda where I want to go. You know, that's the yeah. sort of that's the kind of ones I want to see at the cinema. All the other ones I'll watch in the house. I don't need to be at the cinema to see the new Avengers movie or the new Thor movie. They, I can watch them when they come on Netflix and then criticize them accordingly. Sure. Um, <laughs> I, I can tell you what I went to see. Go on. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, so, hey, but, oh, but before oh, you oh. jump into that, one one other little tease. Oh, tell oh. us another story. I forgot this is the bullshit. Oh, for fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> one little thing, because this is going to make you happy. Did did you see the um, Captain America Civil War? Like when they, they crammed like every superhero in the world into the movie? But it uh, no the last one that was out I, I've not seen it yet. Okay, so they did a thing in that movie, or or like the Star Wars stuff or whatever, where they kind of uh, digitize a face. They they did it in um in uh in Civil War, like I said, where they took Robert Downey Jr. and they basically CG'd his face to look like like weird science Robert Downey. All right. And they do the same trick with Kurt Russell. So the movie kind of opens with a 1980-era Kurt Russell. Oh, right. With the big grin on his face and that kind of thing. Like the charming as fuck Kurt Russell that you remember from, you know, like being Snake Plissken and that kind of thing. And (laughs) Yeah. And it, it like seeing that was a moment of like pure unfiltered joy to me of like, you know, I don't care. It, and it actually looked really good. It like the, it was an impressive effect, but it was like, man, seeing Kurt Russell in his prime in a new movie is yeah. kind of one of the greatest things I've ever seen. <laughs> so. I think, I think um, it was, it was something that came up in discussion when they were talking about this, this push to do this remake of escape from New York. Um, and one of the biggest, like, I am not opposed to someone wanting to remake Escape from New York, right? Because to be honest with you, Carpenter's back catalogue of movies, some of them to me are more precious than, you know, Escape to, uh, Escape from New York, and they've already been remade. You know, someone has already tried to remake that Fog movie and colossally fucked it up. Sure. Someone has already tried to do a prequel, or which is basically a remake to The Thing. And, you know, it doesn't have the soul or the, the, the heart or the just pure nihilism <laughs> of the original thing. The Assault and Precinct 13 remake is the vacuous exercise in how to make a, you know, a remake of a movie but just completely miss the atmosphere and the point of the original. So, you know, Carpenter has had these things already. So when someone says, oh, you know, they're going to remake Escape from New York, the eyes don't roll as much. But the the big issue for me that comes out of that is, to me, there are no modern-day Kurt Russells at all. I can't think of any actor that just jumped. When you think about Kurt Russell's back catalogue, he was the hard man, he was the, you know, the lovable rogue, he was the the bumbling buffoon, uh, you know, the the anti-hero, he was the romantic interest, he he did rom-coms, you know, he did the full... Spectrum. And I, can't, I, I mean, I think he's, he's of a, a weird kind of dying breed of actors. I, I kind of lump him in almost with, with people like Mel Gibson as well. Mel Gibson was a guy that didn't look like an action hero, but you could put him in action roles, you could put him in 
comedic roles. You could put him in rom-coms, which he did a few of, which none of them were very good. Mm. Um, before he became, you know, a drunken racist. But uh, you know, they don't. I don't think there are any actors I can think of that are, you know, cutting around just now in Hollywood that have the versatility of someone like a Kurt Russell. You know, just like a career actor who grew up through the industry, you know, that through that Disney industry and just did movies you know, like, and, and just adapted and became iconic characters. I just don't think there's anyone out there that is Snake Plissken. I can't think of any modern-day actor that is a Snake Plissken. I, I hear and, what you're saying, and I agree that Macaulay Culkin should be the new Snake Plissken. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I would love that. Uh, you know what I mean? I just don't think... And that, to me, is the biggest issue. Not the remaking of the movie. Give me another... Like, if, if Mad Max Fury Road has taught me anything, is that there is plenty of scope, especially with the way the world is just now. There's plenty of scope for dystopian, you know, societies built out of, you know totalitarian control of governments run amok. You know, there is there is plenty of room for those stories to be retold again and modernised. But I think the glaring issue for that is you don't have an actor. You don't have a Snake Plissken just now, Hollywood. Um, and you need to kind of sort that shit out. You need, to, you need to get someone who looks the part, who acts the part, but first and foremost, who I am going to believe is, you know, the baddest hombre walking the planet, and they, they don't have that just now. And that, that to me, is, that's, like I say, out with that, look, you want to remake it, go ahead and remake it. Chances are it probably will suck. I'll go and check it out. But if you do not, if you cannot find a Snake Plissken, then to me, what's the point? Did, and one other thing about Kurt Russell, and then, and then by all means talk about your little movie. Um, oh my little movie listen to him, yeah, listen to him. Uh, I saw what you did there I just learned that uh, the true director of Tombstone was Kurt Russell mm. and now who was who was the on paper director then? George Cosmatos the guy who did uh, Rambo and had done something else I, I, I can't remember what the rest of his filmography is but uh, I know mostly from Tombstone, of course. And mm-hmm. what I recently read was that the original director, and I can't remember who that was, uh, was pushing for a draft that the studio didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up getting shit canned. And Kurt Russell wanted the movie made so badly that he basically hired... George Cosmatos, Cosmatos, Comatos, to Ed. <laughs> it, it's George Comahawk. Um, George, George. <laughs> so he hired George Comahawk to be director <laughs> in name only, but but every night before the shoot, and he like on the set, George Comahawk was uh, the the director. But every night before the next day's shot list, Kurt Russell would go to his room, pick out all the shots, talk about what they were shooting, 
make any notes. And even during shooting, he he said like there was this elaborate series of hand gestures he would use to communicate so that like the the crew and the cast didn't think he was actually the guy in charge because he didn't want to be known as the guy who directed Tombstone. He wanted to be the guy playing Wyatt Earp. And it was a really interesting story. But yeah, at the end of the day, the reason that Tombstone is as good as it is is largely because Kurt Russell was the sort of behind-the-scenes director of that film. There you go, ladies and gents. That's something I genuinely didn't know. I love Tombstone as well. I'm not a big fan of Western movies, but I love that movie. I mean, it's it's so so good. But anyway, it's so pretty amazing. what uh, what what did you see? <laughs> so you're just gonna go out with uh, a movie that's gonna be arguably the largest grossing movie of the year and one of the greatest westerns of all time, and then pass it over over at me to talk about a small indie vampire movie. Thanks for that, Bo. Thanks for that. Oh, yeah. Um, By the way, you should see uh, Transmogrification, too. <laughs> the Transfiguration Bowl. Ah, whatever. I screwed it up. The joke <laughs> The joke would have worked. Uh, yeah, so I got a chance to go out and check out the, the Transfiguration. Went to see it in Glasgow. There were, like, three people in the cinema. It was, like, pretty empty. I kind of felt a wee bit sorry. Um, but at the same time, I thought, at the same time, I'm getting an opportunity to watch this movie without having to listen to other people talk over the top of it, which is always, always a bonus. Always a bonus. Um, yeah, so this this is um, <clears throat> this is directed by uh, Michael O'Shea, who hasn't really got much to his name, actually. He's, he's uh, I think he's directed some short that I've never seen called Milo. Um and this is his, like, essentially his first feature film. And I thought it was fucking brilliant. And I, I've read some reviews, and I, I can see that some people think it's, and maybe wears its influences a bit too much on its sleeve. Um, it's a vampire movie, definitely more in the vein of Martin, um, the Romero uh, vampire movie, than it would be necessarily like a Nosferatu or anything like that. And that we are following uh, a boy who is convinced that he is a vampire whilst he does not demonstrate um, any of the traits or tropes associated with the lore of vampirism. Um, I thought it was fucking brilliant. It references <clears throat> in the movie that <clears throat> the boy is heavily obsessed with vampirism. And it references about a million movies, uh, all to do with vampires. And there's some there's some kind of funny quirks in there and funny jokes against vampirism. But essentially, we find out that his he lives in a, a tower block with his older brother. His older brother um, doesn't really leave the house or anything. The mother had committed suicide, but like maybe about a year before or something, and he has this obsession with blood and his transfiguration um, into a vampire and the the relationship he builds with an abused girl who moves into the building. I thought it was shot wonderfully. I thought the story was very nuanced. It plays very much into atmosphere. The score works incredibly well with it. And whilst, yes, it is very much 
not the most original story I've ever seen in my entire life. And I would argue that there are, there isn't much scope left to put your own stamp and make an original vampire movie. I think that's why the ones that do it are pretty incredible where you watch something like Let the Right One In um, or more recently things like Byzantium or um, Only Lovers Left Alive. And when When you sit down to watch this movie, the emphasis is almost a and more focuses on this kind of dramatic relationship of how this boy fits in with society around him how he tries to overcome his demons and vampirism is in the backdrop of that but it never really shies away from it and at times there was a couple of scenes in it where i was like i can't fucking believe you just did that that is you know hella dark for a movie like this um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was pretty uh, formidable. Um, and it has a, a small cameo by Larry Fezzedin, who's always a delight to see in the movie. And if you've seen any movies with Larry Fezzedin in a cameo, you know that he doesn't get much screen time because uh, none of his characters live very long. Um, yeah, thought it was it was great. Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Kaufman's also a slight cameo, but he's in fucking everything. Um, yeah, really, really, really good. Highly recommend it. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it may be. It's getting a Blu-ray release in the UK in August, so I imagine it's probably going to be out in the states about the same time, if it isn't already. And if you're looking for something a bit different, something very indie, something that is is horror but a lot more nuanced. And I tell you what made me th- actually made me think of while watching it, and it's in a completely different genre and a completely sorted. It's a completely different movie, really, but it made me feel the same way I felt when I was watching the Battery. Oh, so wow. when I watched the Battery, I was just like, "This is, you know, this is an experience. This is just something that I haven't seen done in a long time. You know, this idea of, of you know." I'm, Almost as a like the kind of Romero esque sort of vibe that's in the background, but feels very modern and very bright in the battery. Um, ironically, this one also has a very Romero esque kind of vibe to it, but feels very modern, very vibrant, and and kind of pertinent. Um, I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's it's probably probably up there in my top five uh, horror movies of the year thus far. I think it just nips in at number five. So. All right, uh, and I, I mentioned this on Facebook, not to not to wind it back to me, but speaking of indie horror movies, let's uh, all, let's talk about Bo again. I know, um, but uh, you should check out the lore. Yeah, I, oh, I can't wait. I've been that one's been on my list now for about a year, so absolutely cannot wait to check that one out. Yeah, it's you know the the joke I keep making is you know how many times people come to you and say hey, I've got a Polish Killer Mermaid 80s musical that you should watch. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I, another one? Um, <laughs> no, this one's good. Um, yeah. It's it's not it's not perfect. I Like, I wouldn't even put it in the same league as The Battery because that movie is very special to me. But um, really? it's, it's absolutely worth a look. It, it, it's sort of if Michael Mann during his Miami Vice days, did a Polish movie about mermaids. Oh, it's old. Yeah. It's 
and and for not speaking a lick of Polish, uh, as as I don't want to ups I don't want to upset your impression of me, Duncan. My Polish <laughs> is not good. Um, but uh, the the songs were actually really catchy and and very fun. So, um, anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, Romero esque vampire independent features <laughs> or R- Rocket Raccoon and Baby Groot. Who, by the way, is fucking adorable. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness, Duncan. Um, to the point where in the movie, at one point, his life is spared because of how adorable he is. Um, anyway, uh, we're here to talk about um, the Showtime series Spartacus. Wait. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, we finally get to talk about titties. Titties. Um oh. we <laughs> we could and we kinda always do when we're talking about Audrey Horn. Um, yeah, because they're right there. Just all those lovely swells under a sweater. Uh <laughs> that you get with Audrey Horn. Um but sorry folks, we're we're getting into the sexism to warm up to the racism. Um, oh yeah. Oh this is, uh, this episode is gonna be one for the ages. I'm I'm not I'm I cannot promise that in the second half of this podcast I don't spend a good ten minutes doing the most offensive accent that's ever been recorded on a podcast. I can't guarantee that that's gonna happen and I can't guarantee that once I start doing it that I'll be able to switch it off. Yeah, we're losing listeners this episode. There is no getting around that. We've only got like six. We're yeah, gonna... Remember when you got that badge last time for getting through that episode that we promised you? you there's you're going to get the racist badge um, if you get through this one. Right. Is... It's just a uh, it's a pin that has a picture of Rodney King on it that says "Can't we all get along?" <laughs> um, you will get that at the end of this episode. Um, the first episode tonight is entired entired. He tired there because there is very little James in this episode. My mistake. Oh yeah, instantly got it got love from me right away. Uh, oh. yeah, there is almost zero James in either of these episodes, so I can't blame him, and I can't just do an impression when I screw up pronunciation. So uh, <laughs> the first episode is entitled "Lord's Secret Diary." Um. It's just him staring at the diary that says Laura's secret diary on the top of it, just going, you're not Laura. <laughs> yeah, you don't look like Laura, but your name is on it. I don't read so good. Uh, you I just see? remembered, this is like, I just remembered, uh, there was a, for, for the movie fans out there, there was, you might not know about this, there was a Crocodile Dundee 3. Um, a lot of people don't know this, and it came out many, many years after. It came out like, on patrol. <laughs> it came out kind of circa, I want to say 2000, 2001, um, and they somehow managed to get Paul Hogan to resurrect the role of uh, Mick Dundee, and him and his buddy travelled to America, and <laughs> I don't know why this, this is so funny to me, but I think it's fucking hilarious. They they decide to go for, they decide to go and get food, and they go to a Wendy's drive-through, and Wendy's doesn't exist in in the UK, but I know very much of its 
<laughs> this presence in America because I've been at Wendy's in America and they pull up to the uh, the drive-through talking box thing and um, <laughs> the, wait 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 the drive-through talking box thing yeah I don't know what you call it the radio receiver thing it's I just the speaker it? it's intercom yeah maybe yeah so they pull up to the intercom good lord Sorry. it's like doing a podcast <laughs> with Jamie Jenkins. <laughs> that it says uh, good evening welcome to wendy's can i take your order please and he goes good evening wendy oh man <laughs> every fucking time man it's just the silliest joke yeah. it's the silliest joke ever but that's what I imagine James like all the time. So if he sees like a book with Laura's name written on it, he just starts calling it Laura. This book is Laura. <laughs> Laura died and got reincarnated as a book. <laughs> oh, James, you're thick bastard, honestly. <laughs> One of the central tenets of Buddhism is reincarnation. And so Laura is this book now. <laughs> she doesn't look like Laura, but she is Laura. She is Laura. So uh, I see, the handwriting's even Laura. Yeah, and his mother is a fish. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, sorry. That was a, that was a long thing. Good evening, Wendy. I've, <laughs> I'm happy because you're happy at that joke. <laughs> it's such an airplane joke. I love it. Absolutely. I don't know that it's even airplane quality, quite frankly. But I'll, I'll, <laughs> you know, what? I don't know. Do we have clearance, Clarence, Victor, Victor, Roger, Roger? Um, I don't know. It's up there. All right, but see, any one of those jokes alone isn't very it's good. Amazing. It's the yeah. combination of all of that at once. It's yeah, yeah. It's, it's that is genius. It's genius. And the like. All right, let's get some pictures and taking the <laughs> pictures off the wall. <laughs> Oh, we should be watching the airplane right now. All right, so tonight's episode is entitled Airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Lay it on the side hey, and slack him, yak him. Hey, surely he can't be serious. Don't start that red zone shit again. We all know what this is about. Um, and this is right, about this... Laura's Secret Diary. <laughs> Laura's Secret Diary. Uh, nothing We're... to do with Wendy's or airplanes or red zones. Um, where we open with one Leland, uh, absolutely sane Palmer, as he's known in, uh, Twin Peaks. <laughs> well, uh, it's not even that. We, we open with a camera pulling out of what at first we think is maybe like some sort of drainage hole and it spirals out. And then we eventually find that it is a tiny hole in the, in the kind of perforated ceiling tile and the interrogation room in the police department and Leland's not quite with us. He's kind of, he's spaced out. He do, some may argue he's never been with us at all since the start of the season. Um, but yeah, he's, he's not quite, he's not quite there, Bo. He's, he's somewhere else. Yeah. It, it's a really cool shot and, and sort of surprisingly artistic because most mm -hmm. of this series is actually shot fairly straightforward. Yeah, it's uh, very, very much shot like a sitcom. Like, I think you, there, there was kind of almost that kind of Lynchian flair for camera angles and uh, and weird 
kind of setups and shots in the previous season. And at the start of the season, when we were introduced back again to Bob, but fundamentally, the majority of what we will see moving on is, like you say, is very much a run of the mill kind of sitcom style of of directing. So to, to start this off, because you don't know what it is as well, and it does take like a lot of things in Twin Peaks, a good thirty seconds to actually move to something so you can get a point of contact of what we're doing or a point of reference um, this one goes on for a bit longer than you would expect but it's, and it doesn't serve any purpose at all really out with this is a cool way to start this this episode yeah it's it, it and it very much is the guy who directed this episode is a gentleman named Todd Holland um, mm. who also directed it won a couple of Emmys for uh, the Larry Sanders show and my so-called life and has been directing television just forever and ever and, and, and seems to be pretty, pretty damn good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I should also point out, this is written by Jerry Stahl, um, who, uh, you know, of course is a, a famous addict. Um, so I'm sure the heroin scenes were right up his, his alley. <laughs> uh, and Mark Frost. I kept wondering why the, the, the props kept missing. What's happened here? I'm sure. Where did the heroin go? Yeah, we we need this to be real, so there better be real gank on set, <laughs> uh, is what he would say. And uh, Mark Frost and Harley Payton and Robert Ingalls. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have four writers for uh, this episode, um, which I seems excessive. <laughs> it it does, but I I think it's because we're also dealing with a bunch of disparate storylines. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're talking to Leland. He is being questioned, uh, you know, the, at the end of the, the last episode, um, Sheriff Truman and Agent Cooper show up to, uh, to arrest him for the murder of Jacques Renault. And he is now being questioned about that and, um, kind of makes no bones about it is like, you know, um, I didn't know his name at the time. Mm-hmm. Didn't really give a shit. I knew you arrested him. So I fucking killed him because <laughs> uh, because he killed my daughter, and yeah. under no circumstances will that ever be called into question. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, and you know, it's like, all right, well, you know, we gotta we gotta keep you in custody if you're just like we thought you did it, and then you told us you did it. So now we we got to put you on trial. Uh, which we will get to because uh, Twin Peaks apparently has a, a trial or a set of trials about once every six months, and you just everybody uh, gets a trial that day, so that's kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, everyone gets a trial, and um, it's it's not really conducted in a courthouse, and yeah, anyone can stand up and talk when they want. Yeah, I mean it's a little loosey goosey uh, by it's- most court standards. It's kind of like Salem Witch Trial esque, you know that way where just anyone can stand up and say whatever they want, or accuse someone of whatever they want, or defend someone. Oh, um, it's, it's a kind of old fashioned style of kind of court justice, which kind of fits. To be honest with you, kind of it reminded me a lot of um, having absolutely no knowledge about this at all, and probably offending any listener who does. Um, how tribes have or tribes or clans have 
their own sort of internal justice. How justice would have happened before, like, civilizations were built, you know, large-scale civilizations. This is kind of how I imagine justice was served. It would be done by the tribe. They'd all sit around and, and discuss the pros, cons, or the, the you know, the merits, or or the, the, the foibles or flaws of particular people. And that's kind of what felt with it. And then keeping in touch with what we know about Twin Peaks, um, that kind of, it, it weirdly works for me for some reason. It's one of those things where I wasn't like, oh, for fuck's sake. You know, I was like, oh, right, this kind of, yep, of course they do justice this way. Of course. Yeah, I, I you know, we'll get to the scene, but uh, I like the judge a lot. I trust him. I feel like he's going <laughs> to do right by everyone. Um, but before we get to legal doings, um, Mm -hmm. let's check in with America's sweethearts, Andy and Lucy. Um, Andy is trying to disprove the notion that he is, uh, firing blanks when it comes to his, uh, his, uh, his twig and berries. Um, as we have learned, uh, Lucy is pregnant and he wants to, um, try to prove that he could potentially be the father. Which is just a weird thing. Right. Like you're off the hook, man. Run. <laughs> what are you doing, Andy? Yeah. He's like, look, I can fuck something and get it pregnant too. Great. Everyone's a winner here then. Right. <laughs> you know, both stuck in loveless marriages with other people spawning kids that you didn't plan. Well done. Well yeah. done, Andy. Uh. Uh, it's just, the, the, the Andy Lucy story is just, like, we, we were saying about this, like, uh, in the previous episode, there are just so many bits and bobs that start to overstay their welcome in terms of, like, small little narratives. And this is one of them. This is, like, we will chalk this up. I don't know how you feel about this one, Bo, but I'm chalking this up to who could give a fuck about this part ordinarily i would say yes but this does involve a cum joke uh, it does involve a cum joke right after the cum joke yes who could give a fuck about this yeah it does involve a cum joke so it's quite risky for twin peaks it, yeah it kind of is um there's so dr hayward is there uh because he's kind of hanging out as leland palmer's getting questioned and andy stops him as dr hayward is leaving the police station as you know, it's like, hey, Dr. Hayward, are, I've been wearing boxers like you told me. And uh, he's like, all right, well, give me a sample and I'll see if you've, if you've still got, you know, a little, a little problem with your, your dangle. And so he, he scurries off to the bathroom to, to jerk one off. Takes a magazine with him because he's a classy guy that way. Right, because he doesn't have an imagination, I guess. Like, well, yeah, I suppose internet's ruined us, Bo. Really? Not me. I like. I don't need the internet. I don't need photographs. I can sit back and think for about twelve good seconds and, and pop a bone. <laughs> I mean, I, I can, I can, <laughs> I can think as well, and I've, I've got a fairly vivid imagination, and I've seen Twin Peaks. So Audrey Horn's going to appear, like just there, and she's going to say things to me that she, she probably shouldn't. Yeah, and dress in a way which seems slightly pr- provocative. And, oh my god <laughs> but at the same time though you know the internet has spurred on certain fantasies that i didn't know i was into before i saw them on the screen like i didn't th- I, at no point did i ever find like large vats of 
water-based lubricant, a car battery, jump leads, rubber gloves, and a ponytail butt plug. Sexy. But that combination together, Bo, woo! I see. I kind of, I feel bad because I'm almost like Denzel Washington in training day where I'm like, the internet ain't got nothing on me. Like the weird places my head goes, shit, they haven't even invented that on the internet yet. It's just that little guy talking backwards, walking in the bedroom, isn't it? Yeah. It's, let's tell you that you rock. <laughs> let's come. <laughs> just you going, stop shouting at me. I can't handle pressure. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's uh, the giant appearing to me and telling me that, like, you will paint a smile on your wall. It, it's one happened. small one small innuendo one small cum joke in it the floodgates are open ladies and gents oh those sticky sticky cum, oh, cum gates are open um, <laughs> cum gates <laughs> cum gate by the way is the thing that's going to take Trump down mark my words C- cum gate, cum gate. Well, I don't know we've, we've always, we've, we've, we had piss gate for a while mm-hmm. um, which didn't which didn't really go for yeah cum gate probably could although I don't think I don't think I don't think Donald Trump can. I think he may be impotent. Um. Well, yeah, but Steve Bannon just like squirts, uh, like Jergens under his <laughs> cock as he's jerking off. So Trump thinks he's coming. Steve Bannon's the guy from fucking Silence of the Lambs that throws like a web of his multiple mix. Yeah, that's that's Steve Bannon's nickname is multiple mix. <laughs> multiple Bannon. Yeah. I can smell your Catherine Martell. He's <laughs> like, I can smell your Muslim. Oh, because he's a racist. He is a, a racist, total... famed he's racist. He's a fucking huge racist, and I, for some reason, people are just like always oh, anti-Semitic. No, he's a fucking racist. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. call him what he is. Like, let's not let's not polish up that word. Let's call him what he is. Like a narrow-minded, backwards fucking racist. No, sorry, you're not we gonna... are going off on tangents like a motherfucker. Well, Woo! all right, but let's get back to Andy and his cum. Yeah, um, the Andy's cum joke is actually legitimately funny. Yeah, this is a very funny scene. So he he's going into the bathroom. He run, literally runs into Lucy, who is apparently rotating potato chip bags or something because she's got nothing but um, a, you know, an armful of snacks. It's a stock control thing. You need to you need to make sure that you rotate those things put the the older ones to the front your products to the back yep it's, it's a, hey the threat is real bull the threat is real hey i worked in a grocery store uh for several years in high school i think i know how to rotate stock sir i think you do know how to rotate stock uh, i i would never question that but i'm just saying this you know it's important and we know that if there's one thing they like to do in the sheriff's office at twin peaks is eat they eat all the fucking time Oh, God, yeah. It's crisp chips at the front. As you call them chips, I call them crisps because that's what they are, and chips are something totally different. Um, so. Look, we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight my battles where I need to. I don't need to die on the crisp pill. Uh, there, there are other crazy shit that you're going to say that I will, I will dig into. Um, crisp, I've come to peace with because it's like, yeah, fine. Europeans are going to call them crisp because... Because that's what they are. That's and, right. And honestly, Europeans are, are better at pronouncing the SPS in a word. Yeah. 
crisps. Um, crisps. I yeah, would like some crisps. <laughs> Hello, Father. Could you please pass me the crisps? Yeah, it's the the very effete European uh, stereotype. Mm. Oh like the dear. Uncouth, the uncouth American saying, <laughs> "Pass me a bowl of chips." Yeah, give give me some give me some fucking potato chips before I shoot you in the face, Mom. <laughs> How about that? Freedom, America! <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Cost about a buck oh five. Um, so, all right. So, but anyway, so they run into each other. And then Lucy is picking up her bags of crisps. And <laughs> she uncovers uh, a copy of Flesh World that Andy was taken to the bathroom to jerk off because he doesn't have any imagination either. He has no imagination. I'm going to need to see some boobies. Um, and she's like, Andy, what do you, never mind. And just storms off because God forbid a man should ever look at a pornographic magazine. Yeah. Uh, as we call them, as we call them over here growing up, scuddy mags. Uh, I've skin mags and stroke books are my two favorite <laughs> stroke books. Stroke books are, are <laughs> that's high on my list of of euphemisms for pornography. <laughs> stroke book. Yeah, but it's the like, perfect in, in my country. In my country, if you said a stroke book, we would think it was like some sort of medical pamphlet detailing on how to avoid a stroke or treat someone that had a stroke. The the autobiography of Kirk Douglas is technically a stroke <laughs> book. It was the book that he gave fucking Catherine Zeta Jones when they got married. <laughs> this is how I like it. <laughs> Rough ready, two hands, and put a bit of that Chinese burn twist in it. <laughs> I remember being at Spartacus. <laughs> oh, that's fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez he reads his own audiobook an audio stroke book <laughs> having a stroke while reading it <laughs> <laughs> he's like, at the beginning he's all like completely legible towards the end he sounds like Jim Ross <laughs> right it's all just and then he just shits himself and dies um <laughs> We're going to hell. We're going to hell so fast and we, so hard. I feel like we are just warming the audience up for the awfulness to come. Yeah, me, Reiki. Um, so, all right. So, so anyway, uh, fuck Lucy and Andy. Um, yeah. So we um, we get word that uh, like Agent Cooper and Truman um, are hanging out in the lobby, and they have gotten word from Hawk, who was not physically there. <laughs> right he's not in the scene but they mention him and that's almost enough so but basically he was checking out uh the the name robertson because leland palmer said hey you know i had this summer home or you know when we would summer at the lake when we would summer at the lake eating our crisps (laughs) Uh, i knew some people named robertson uh and why have you become anthony it, 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 I just Why realized that it, I don't know. I just realized that it, like Leland Palmer has become Hannibal Lecter all of a sudden. Love your suit. Toughens your nipples, doesn't it? 
Have some crisps, Senator. (laughs) (laughs) Did you did you breastfeed her, ma'am? Did you give her some crisps? What was her favorite flavor? Salt and vinegar. Ooh, toughens your nipples, doesn't it? Oh, this is gonna be the best episode we ever do. Oh, oh, I am just warming up. Um, <laughs> sorry, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> so, so Andy, all right. So they're like Deputy Hawk has said, like, hey, there was nobody named Robertson in this house a couple of doors down from <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, and uh. Then Andy comes barging in and has lost his cup of cum, which <laughs> rolls uh, rolls under uh, the chairs in the lobby. And Agent Cooper, like uh, Andy, uh, Andy gets on his hands and knees to retrieve the cup of cum, and Agent Cooper is like, "Andy, don't move. Where did you get those?" And he's like, <laughs> "I don't want to tell you where I got this, Agent Cooper." And he's like, "No, no, no, not your cum, stupid. What about your boots?" And he was like, "Oh, I bought a, I bought these from uh, the guy, the the one armed man." And uh, they're like, "Hey, those are the same boots we found at Leo Johnson, uh, or that uh, we found at Leo Johnson's place. So we need to track down the one armed man once more, and mm-hmm. and you know, just forever looking for this same dude who just shows up periodically in the series. So." Uh, then we have a plot line that seemingly goes nowhere for two episodes <laughs> where um Ben Horn uh back at the the Great Northern is uh interrupted from his strolling down the hallway by an employee who's like hey I found out that uh what, what's the name MT something oh it's the um, travel rider yeah he's one of these right <clears throat> uh, one of these uh traveling writers that reviews rest stops and restaurants and he travels from town to town and then writes up reviews and apparently no one knows what he looks like no one knows who he really is and he pays with cash so he can't be traced and um, the you know instantly thinking that this is a great opportunity, absolutely fantastic opportunity to put their little slice of heaven on the map. Oh. Yeah. So uh, she says, "I'm going to let you know as soon as somebody checks in with paying cash and and seems a little a, a little suspicious." Yes, MT Wentz. Yes, MT Wentz. Um, and. Anyway, uh, sorry. I, I felt like there was almost a joke there, and then there so wasn't. I, did, I, I said that a couple of times in my head, and I was like, nah. nah. So, yeah. we have, Sorry, listeners. We have failed you. Um, <laughs> as usual, quite frankly. Yeah, and that's what we do. Yeah. It's, this, this whole podcast is just like, like toughening nipples for disappointment. <laughs> Toughens your nipples, doesn't it? How's your crisps? Um, have some crisps. 
and be disappointed. <laughs> that should be the, the like the the, the the byline of our show. Uh, be disappointed <laughs> and eat crisps. No, I should be like we should we should rip off Pringles and say once you pop the fun, burn, don't stop. So Ben Horn keeps on trucking like we are through this episode. Convoy. <laughs> oh God. So I've snorted twice in the the recording of this episode. This does not bode well because we haven't gotten to the. This episode is a fucking train wreck. It's an absolute train wreck already. But yeah. it's a wonderful, glorious train wreck. And to be honest with you, it's probably more entertaining than most of this episode. So. Yeah, I I feel like the past two episodes have really shown how uh, freewheeling we're willing to be and still call <laughs> a thing a podcast. <laughs> It's, it's still attached to the name Twin Peaks to it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this well, they mentioned Bob once in the episode, so that's kind of Twin Peaks-esque. They talk about cum for half an hour, though. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, cum and crisps. I, oh, boy, I could go for some cum and crisps right now. Um, where you just eat one and you're like, oh, oh salty. That um, is that is a cum and crisp. Um Cumming crisps, also a delicious breakfast cereal. <laughs> no Eat milk quick required. Before they get soggy. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, we had the the same joke. Only yours was better. <laughs> um, the fuck is go- oh yeah, Ben Horn. So Ben Horn keeps going to his office, <laughs> and waiting for him is Jean Renault. And oh, yes, we get a Jean Renault impression. I can't wait. So, uh, Ben Horn. Although this like, one's a bit sketchy in this episode, I think he forgot he was French. I, I do too. Uh, <laughs> it just became Canadian where he was like, one more thing, eh? Um, <laughs> so, he's like, you know, ho, 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 we have your daughter, eh? And shows him the video of, uh, uh, of Audrey being all whacked out on the clean burden propane. And, <laughs> and uh, Ben is like, well, that's fucked up. What do you want me to do? And uh, Jean Renault is like, oh, I want some money, huh? And he's <laughs> like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give you some ransom money. Oh, one more thing. I want some Agent Cooper. And he's like, you want... You want Agent Cooper to deliver the ransom? And he's like, oh, what? And, <laughs> and, flawless, flawless. Yeah. And Ben Horde is like, hey, uh, that's an FBI agent. I can't get him to, to bring you some ransom money on the sly. And he's like, do you want your daughter back or no? And he's like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll deliver this to you. And also there there's going to be a bit of a rearranging of power at one eye jacks yeah it's the scene it, once again never underestimate the the ability of twin peaks to juxtapose very goofy scenes with things that are quite dark and the scene of you know a father being sat down to watch his his daughter who i mean he's been flippant with at the past in the past but this is the first like chance we have seen him actually emotionally react in such a way 
of kind of like genuine kind of fear and compassion towards his daughter. And then we find that this Jack Renault guy is just basically, I think he knows where the writing on the wall is. He knows that there's more money with Ben Horn than there is with Blackie. So he very quickly offers his services to switch sides and really clean house on that side of things. And when we say clean house, um, we, we mean it. He, he goes, um, we're going to get into what he does, but interesting character. And um, I just kind of wish he wasn't saddled with such an obnoxious accent. Michael Parks plays him wonderfully. But yeah, the he, he's now been paid and he's obviously fascinated by by Agent Cooper because Agent Cooper, for those that remember, was the one that arrested his brother. Yep. So this is good old-fashioned revenge. Revenge! <laughs> yeah. it, is a de- it is a dish best served cold. Very much like my vicious <laughs> Revenge is good called, no? <laughs> um, all right, so then we, we go to the double R, uh, where Donna is picking up her food for uh, the Meals on Wheels, and Hank is getting all nosy about it, and he's like, hey, you're getting a lot of lunches today. <laughs> and and uh, she's like, yeah, I'm having lunch with uh, with one of the people on my route. And he's like, huh, that's weird. And she's like, no, nah, you wouldn't understand. And then Norma gets the phone call saying, hey, M.T. Wentz is coming to town. Mm-hmm. And Hank goes fucking bananas about it, stealing money out of the register like the thief he is. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I've got a big plan. We're going to get candles. And so he fucks off to, you know apparently get decorations for the place and before he leaves he's like hey you should also call big ed and she's like uh how come i mean we're not fucking <laughs> yeah, like, ed, why, why would i want that i've not been sleeping with ed i mean what call ed what ed who um <laughs> and uh he he's like no 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 i mean because he's at the at the gas station because he's at the gas station uh <laughs> then he can point empty wince should he stop by towards the double r and uh she's like all right i'll i'll give him a call and totally not have sex with him if that's what you're thinking (laughs) he's got his hands full at the moment yeah well hank hank pops up all through these two episodes just like like it's like wacka hank almost where it's just like no scene (laughs) is complete until hank pops up and is like hey what's going on over here uh, it's like that wee guy from Mortal Kombat. Whoopsie! You mean Scorpion? No, oh. Bo. You're fired! You've got a video game podcast. What was it? Noob Cyborg or whatever his name was. Mm. Yeah. That's Whoopsie. right. That's Tank throughout this whole episode. Hank's a really interesting character, actually. Like, the further this has went on, me revisiting this, the more I realise that of the influx of newer characters I've introduced which weren't core to like the first four or five episodes of the show. Hank is one of the more interesting ones because there is this kind of... You never quite know what his plan is, what his motives are. You know that that his main motive is obviously what benefits Hank, but because he is so manipulative um, and he can play people very well, you never really know when he's being genuine and when he's not. I think the only times we ever really see him be himself are the moments where no one else is around and he's stealing money from the till or 
or later on like brazenly stealing something from the pocket of of someone that comes into the the store um that's when i think we see the real hank every other version of hank we see is not hank it's like a, a, like a weird kind of it's like watching multiplicity <laughs> it's like all the different versions of uh, michael keaton it's this, it's that idea hank's just like multiple personalities in the show make him one of the more interesting characters um however i'm just going to say no amount of candles and red tablecloths um and smiling is going to convert the double r it's like putting perfume on a pig you know it's a good old-fashioned diner and diners Mm. don't have to be pretty you're not going there for the best meal you ever had you're going there for a really good burger exactly which is ironic for what happens later on yeah, yeah it kind of is um so we we then follow donna to uh agent smith's house <laughs> aka electric dreams um and they're having you lunch to help your landlady you take out her garbage <laughs> well all right so this is obviously who who she's having the lunch with and also this is the dude that she discovered possessed uh, Laura's secret diary. Yeah. Which cleverly was called the secret diary of Laura Palmer. Exactly. No one knows what it is. Right. And so they're eating and uh, like he doesn't know or theoretically he doesn't know that she knows he has the diary. <laughs> But he doesn't know that she knows, but she knows that he doesn't know that she knows that he knows. Right. But like right off the bat, he's like, so Mrs. Hayward, (laughs) I have Laura's secret diary. Did you know that? And he's like, you have been skinny dipping, skipping school, partaking in smoking activities behind the boys locker room and you even bring an apple to your teacher (laughs) also i'm an elf (laughs) no any no any order a king elf yeah i am king i am leonidas king of the elves um and australian but you wouldn't know it But, uh, so Agent Smith is like, let me read to you from Laura's diary. I'm a huge whore. I think Donna thinks it's funny. (laughs) Which is the gist of it. And he's like... As as essentially, yeah. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I, you know, I read these passages because they're kind of upsetting. And she's like, no, nah, it's cool. And it's like Laura talking about how she wants big, big men to do big <laughs> things to her it's holes. Like, I, I will read out this paragraph here. It says, my neck, my back, my pussy, and my crack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if only these episodes weren't named after Twin Peaks episodes. <laughs> that would be it. Oh my god. <laughs> um so 
You've ruined this show, honestly. It's, it's fucking ruined. It's absolutely ruined. It only took us, what, fucking 14 episodes or something? No, even 14 episodes. No. We're not that far into it yet. Yeah, we're 12 episodes in. It's 12 and 13, <laughs> technically. Um, all right, so next scene. Let's keep moving here. Because honestly, who gives a shit about Agent Smith and Donna? Up until yeah. things get interesting in the next episode. They um, do indeed, yes. So Ben Horn calls Agent Cooper in, shows him the, the videotape of, of Audrey, and uh, he's like, look, I know you and Audrey have a, a, a special relationship. You understand that, like, how much that I want her back. And so I'm going to give you 125 grand in cash, and then they're going to call, and you're going to be the guy to make the drop. But don't talk to any of the police. Which leads us to... kind. All right, we'll get to it at the end of this episode. But there is a big cock tease all through this episode that it has no payoff whatsoever. Mm. Um, which is unfortunate. But speaking of cock teases, Josie Packard has returned to the sawmill. Yeah, a slightly saucier Josie Packard. Yeah, so she comes back and she's like, hey, Pete. Uh, hey, Pete. Um, <laughs> she doesn't talk like that. She does a little That's bit. later on. Don't ruin it. Um, <laughs> and she, Josie Packard has that kind of high voice, though. Um, <laughs> the no inflections of a, an, uh, an Asian accent, though. I, oh. Really? Anyway. But she comes by <laughs> it honest. She comes by it honest. Um but anyway, he tells her like, "Hey, we're gonna we're about to bury. See you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell, and we haven't found a body yet. We're not sure what we're actually gonna bury, which is kind of a nice moment for Pete. Of like, you know, I'm about to bury my wife, and I ju- I don't even know what that means. And yeah. but it, it's more about like, hey, Josie's back in town, and she's got boxes and boxes of shit that she, you know, in quotes bought on her shopping trip." Um, and was in no way involved with the burning of the mill. No way involved with that at all. And as we're saying that Pete is the bigger man because Pete's been downtrodden. His wife has walked all over him. And I mean, Pete could have been like saying, I, I don't know what we're going to bury tomorrow. My first thought was my disdain and a steaming shit. Um, you know, in a coffin, bury that fucker down there and we will call it see you next Tuesday and that's the way it goes but it genuinely seems cut up by this because as we know as much as she used him he actually is quite a loyal guy and did really love her Um, and he is convinced like we all are that she is dead I mean in, in sitcoms and soap operas but the fact that a body has not been recovered is not a suspicious thing at all. We can take that in good faith that she is gone, 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 gone. Yeah. Hey, she is absolutely never to return to Twin Peaks being dead and whatnot. Uh, oh, where were we? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yes, Pete Martell being uh, a surprisingly good guy um, in the yeah. face. And like, meanwhile, like staring in through the window. Uh, nondescript uh, sinister Asian man right absolutely no question about it not see you next Tuesday Catherine Martel no not at all not Uh, at all um, 
so then up at one eye jacks though audrey is kind of getting the business from the manager of uh horn's department store because and i quote she wouldn't take her medicine which if we weren't talking about human slavery in this scene would be the hottest thing you could say about audrey horn (laughs) oh audrey you're not taking your medicine um that's that's my creepy voice yeah it's pretty creepy but i'll be honest with you yeah my dick shriveled up there yeah it's it's a half step away from multiple migs himself um (laughs) but he's leading her into uh jean renault's office and um so like audrey uh, you know is all spaced out because she's on the clean burning propane and but she's not so spaced out that she can't say by the way he laid his hands on me right he like Reynolds like having fucking none of this. He will not have not on his watch and not under his roof. Yeah, he's like, huh, huh. nobody <laughs> touches my goods, and and murders uh, the manager whose name I can never remember because you know who cares? He's been in four yeah. scenes in the show. Um, <laughs> you know, fuck it. He's not gonna. He's not coming back for the Showtime series. That's for damn sure. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so. He's dead, and then Jean Renault like sits in Audrey's lap and is like, "Huh, huh, huh. As long as you're here, I'll take care of you." And she starts crying because it's gross. Yeah, it's gross. He's an old man, and she's probably going to be introduced to the old man testes. Yeah, old man testes. <laughs> <laughs> he don't wear boxers boxers anyway he didn't he didn't use talcum powder and he's got a burning ring of fire <laughs> <laughs> chafing chafing burning ring of fire oh boy speaking <laughs> of chafing um <laughs> so in a scene that that doesn't matter at all uh coming up lucy is uh still upset agent cooper is like hey um what uh what's going on with you because you're you're being annoying and you're slowing down the show yeah, <laughs> yeah what i also love about the, this scene before we get into the whole thing is like now like no one's making an attempt to even remotely hide the amount of donut and cake boxes that are in this police station. They're backing up. I'm assuming that there is either no recycling happening here or there is no garbage, you know, pickup because almost every room has a stack of pink boxes. I just assume those are backup donuts that, that like they're not (laughs) empty boxes. It's just, that's how many donuts we're going through a day. (laughs) It's just all the donuts. There's just so many boxes now. Like every, every scene in the sheriff's office now, there is just a stack of pink boxes in every room. Every fucking room. Yeah. But Agent Cooper's had enough. Agent Cooper is channeling the inner voice of the audience. And he's like, that, you know, so what's the deal? And she's like, well, you know, you, you may not know this, but me and Andy, you know, we're seeing each other. He's like, yeah, I know that because I'm Agent Cooper and I worked out the first time I saw you. And she's like, yeah, well, you know, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't exercise or take care of himself. He doesn't own a car and doesn't have a 
fancy sports jacket and you know things came to a pass we decided to go on a break so she'd obviously been watching friends we're on a break right and then right. um, yep and then um, she starts seeing the very flashy flamboyant um head of the the the, the dress department um at horns and you know things went the way they went and she doesn't quite get to the point of saying she's knocked up but she says that things obviously went a particular way and then coops like let's cut to the fucking chase here he's like so do, do you wish you were still with andy and she's like well no i don't know i don't know and then she, I, I don't know and then she walks off and we're like we all did we were so close we were so close to having that storyline snubbed out, Bo. So close. And they're like, no, nope, let's milk it for all we can milk it for. So that storyline's going to continue on. But we find out very quickly from Truman that he has tried this conversation before. It doesn't go anywhere. And then we get to the nitty gritty because Coop's looking for some backup, Bo. He needs some backup from one of the bookhouse boys. Right, and this is the big cock tease of this episode. Yeah. Where he's like, look, we got to do this on, on the DL, so I need I, I need a BB because we're going to be on the DL. <laughs> it kind of sounds like code from Grindr. I don't know. Don't <laughs> you worry about it. I'll take care of this. Uh, <laughs> there's so much code happening. Like, There's a whole podcast that's going on you don't even know about McLeish. Yeah. <laughs> uh, under my table right oh it's a sexy (laughs) sexy podcast um but he's like hey i need your best man and harry's like i know i know who would be perfect for this and of course everyone's sitting there thinking well of course but But we like at the same time, like like Harry gives him that meaningful look. Like the camera lingers on Harry as he's like, "I'll find the perfect guy," by which I mean me, Harry Truman, yep. the sheriff of Twin Peaks. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna spin our wheels for about another twenty minutes before <laughs> that's ever a thing. Me, Harry Truman, sheriff of Twin Peaks, six foot two. 175 pounds of donuts walks on the beach in 17th century French poetry. <laughs> also, I'm doing it with Joan Chin. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's cool. Um, <laughs> just like he, he, he is, he is, um, he is Mr. Green from Clue right at the very end. He's like, I'm going off to sleep with my wife. <laughs> Who is John Chen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is He is the casual cool of Twin Peaks of like, look, I'm not here to advertise. I'm just here to do a job. Yeah. Um, here with my friend's agent, Cooper, the philosophical super sleuth, and <laughs> Deputy Hawk, who's just awesome, put in a tasty looking coat. Um <laughs> delayed but worth it yep (laughs) still counts (laughs) so uh so a fat dude shows up uh at the double r (laughs) 
Yeah, because this is still a storyline. Right. Uh. Like, uh, why are we even doing this? Because we never get any kind of payoff. But uh, so a fat guy shows up and they don't know who it is. And Hank's like, hey, I think that's that travel writer. And Norm is like, all right, well, let, like, let's get our other fat customer in the kitchen so we can hide him for, <laughs> like, from all the decent people. And um, meanwhile, Hank is like, I'll just check his pockets for identification. And uh, finds out that the dude is actually a uh, uh, the prosecutor. He's a, a, a what, are, what are they called? District attorney is yes. what I'm getting at. Dotto Ludwig. Yeah. And meanwhile, uh, going on at, at the double R at the same time, Donna and Madeline are having a conversation because Maddie is like, hey, are you mad? I mean, I know you're mad because I, all right, I don't know why you're mad. I took James off your hands. What's the problem? And uh, Donna's like, well, maybe I, I don't care because maybe I never said that we didn't have to not see other people and and maybe that's cool and Maddie's like so are you are you fucking agent smith and she's like i don't what are you talking about <laughs> and just being all coy about it and finally um uh donna says like hey there is in fact a secret diary of laura palmer and i uh you know i should i i need your help to kind of get it and Batty's first reaction, head scratchingly, is we have to tell James about this. Yeah, and it's like, why would you? And why would you yeah. bother for to begin with? Because he's not going <laughs> to. The whole audience is like, no, we don't. This whole episode has existed in a James-free bubble, and we quite like to keep it that way. Yeah, there is absolutely no point in us dragging James into this because you know <laughs> James. Um, he's just going to sing us another terrible song and it's going to be, it, it's going to drag the whole episode down. Although I would argue the James song is one of the greatest things that happens on this show. <laughs> you fucking hi, boy. I mean, a little, um, you look like Laura. Uh, it's fantastic. And all right. Speaking of casual, cool, getting down with Joan Chen. So the next episode, uh, Casual Cool Sheriff Truman shows up and is like, hey, Joan Chin, what's up? And <laughs> sup, she, baby. Sup. <laughs> she's like, hey, I got back from my shopping trip. And uh, so that's cool. And he's like, yeah, you've been acting pretty strange lately. And she's like, did you notice how high up the slit is on this dress? And he's like, I did. That did not get lost on me because I've been hanging out with Super Sleuth Agent Cooper. But I need to know, were you really in Seattle? And she's like, of course, look at all these boxes of things. Um, and he's like, eh, I, I get it, but I, I don't know that I trust you. And she's like, but also I was afraid that, you know, Catherine was going to kill me, but she's dead now, so we're cool. And he's like, I'm still... Not totally convinced, and she's like, "Did you notice that how high this lid is on this dress?" <laughs> and he's like, I, "I again, I did notice that." And she's like, "Well, how about you come over to the couch and we do a little 
you know, hubba hubba. And uh, and so that's what happens. They, they, yeah, it makes her rip her dress because she's now. Yeah, she's like, rip it, rip it, Harry, rip it. <laughs> Does not say lip it. Right? I, I did not say that. You said that. <laughs> and meanwhile, there's a peeping Tom at the window. Yes, there is. Um, and <laughs> you're still you're still in the rip it dress, aren't you? I well, it, I mean, it's sexy. But all right, so this this is the uh, the other Asian dude who has been kind of hanging out, and following Agent Cooper around, Mister Tojimura. Yes. So anyway. Let's uh, intro the judge, who is probably the coolest character of, mm, not the coolest character, because we have some primetime Deputy Hawk action. Oh my god, the Hawk is about to take flight, Duncan. Yeah, he is. Um, So it's uh, Judge Sternwood, which is a great name for a judge. Greatest name for a judge ever. Also like a, a small kind of western frontier stop or like mean? a suburb like St- sternwood acres oh i would love to live in sternwood acres uh it's beautiful i just can't afford it also their uh, hoa is kind of germs yeah, um, i heard it was built in an ancient <laughs> indian burial ground as well but, but you there. didn't move the bodies <laughs> <laughs> and in winter, the pond freezes over, and if you if you put your kids in it, the ice is gonna break. Sure, yeah, that's gonna happen. You're you're gonna get some dead frozen children. Yeah. Um. <laughs> you sounded quite happy about that, boy. Uh, you know, like I said, licking licking the tears right off their cheeks. Uh. <laughs> did you know you're adopted? <laughs> oh. Uh. Uh. Yeah. Oh God, I feel younger already. <laughs> So, <laughs> <laughs> so Sheriff Truman and Agent Cooper uh, meet uh, Judge Sternwood, who is an older gentleman who is also um, the guy from Something Wicked This Way Comes that was dressed mm-hmm. weirdly as a scout leader. Yes. Um, but uh, he's kind of a laid-back, like, folksy kind of judge that you know very salt of the earth kind of guy and also tells agent cooper who he's like hey how long have you been here and agent cooper's like i've been here for 12 days and then everyone uh watching the show is like oh yeah every show is kind of a day huh weird Mm -hmm. and uh he's like you know this is a great place but it's also kind of weird yes and uh, he's like, you know, those woods are gorgeous, but also there's something unusual about the woods. One might even say that the owls are not what they seem. They're not what they seem, though. They're nope. not what they seem. And uh, Dick Tremaine comes in. Yep. So let's just get through this. Uh, Dick Tremaine comes in. He offers uh, Lucy money for an abortion. She tells him to get out, and that's the end. Yes, that's how that scene goes. At that pace, in my mind, or when you're placing fast forward. 
<laughs> it's yeah, it's not terrible. I like there's a actually a good moment where Lucy is like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put that money in your pocket. I want you to go to the door. I want you to go to the second set of doors and careful because that one sticks. And then I want you to go to your car. I want you to turn the key. I want you to put it in reverse. And I want you to drive away and never talk to me again. <laughs> um, which is kind of a fun moment for Lucy. But it's also like, thank you, Twin Peaks, for getting rid of Dick Tremaine. Um, yeah. Now, if we could only... You almost... shall not be missed. <laughs> right. No one, no one wanted to see you again. We all thought you were gone. Um, and then we get to, I guess, sort of the arraignment of Leland Palmer, which is just in the back room of the, the, uh, sheriff's office where judge Sternwood is like, Hey, before we get into this business, I just want to tell you on a personal level, I feel terrible about what happened to your daughter. I'm not saying I understand what you did. I'm saying I get it. Also, uh, like none of this is personal. We're all friends here, but some some gnarly shit might go down, and that's because of the law. And uh, but it but it gets very flowery when he when he's like, and and maybe when this is all over, we will raise a glass together in Valhalla. And Leland Palmer's response is, "Would that it were so." It's yeah. it's kind of wonderful. Like this whole scene is just really quality Twin Peaks, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they just mix in all manner of different mythologies, customs, you know, are all flung into, like, a blender. And the thing that I love about it is that the dialogue is so strange and so ridiculous, but put across in such a way that you just believe that these these two people, just from that one sentence, have this rich tapestry of of history that goes so far back that they can speak to each other in these weird, almost tongue-esque sort of phrases. You know, just like weird, random things that don't quite make sense, that don't quite marry up. But in the context of the show, between these two characters, you totally believe it. Yeah, it it, it really is nice. And he actually says, like, hey, you know, we... Uh, I, I, Leland has come before me a number of times as, as an attorney and all that. Um, and the the scene kind of wraps up with him saying, I think I speak for us all when I say, we have hard jobs. Mm-hmm. Which seems like an understatement given everything that's happening, but fair enough. Um, also, his super sexy law clerk shows up. Damn. Uh, uh, what's her name? Sid? Mm. And uh, he's like, hey, uh, Sid and I are just traveling around in a Winnebago. You know, no, no funny business here. Um, and she is, she kind of has like a Native American look to her. Yeah. Um, and is also real tall and has. Yeah, she got legs. She, she knows just how to use them. Like even Agent Cooper, who is totally in the bag for Audrey Horn, is like, say, Sid. <laughs> and, uh, and Harry's like, hey, you know, that's actually not his wife and or girlfriend to the best of our knowledge. That's just his law clerk. And he's like, all right, well, you know, that just seems to have some some shit going on. That's pretty <laughs> cool. Uh, I like Judge Sternwood quite a bit. Um, meanwhile, uh, back at the Great Northern, 
there is a lumber queen contest going on so we get we get to see uh a, a, a gag uh where somebody gets fat shamed so that's good um also there is uh a new arrival um a japanese question mark <laughs> gentleman question mark who who has arrived to speak with uh with Ben Horn? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, Duncan. <laughs> and it's just uh, so this is Tojimura. Yeah. And Tojimura uh says uh oh god. The the lady at the desk is the same lady who told Ben Horn about like uh MT wins. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Hey, how would you like to pay for this room, uh, Mr. Tojimura?" And uh, Mr. Tojimura's response is, "Oh, Kisha, please." <laughs> and most honorable, most most honorable, me Rocky pay with cash, please. Yeah, and <laughs> most honorable Tojimura, cash, please. Please, please, you're gone me. And, like, where, where are you traveling from, Mr. Tojimura? Uh, Seattle. Uh, most honorable Seattle. <laughs> it, and, like, I wish we were exaggerating. No, but, but that's, yeah. It is. It's two steps away. It's two steps away from the South Park skit. It works in the shitty walk. Yeah, it is. <laughs> It is that level of broad, I mean, borderline racism? I don't know. <laughs> no, full on. Full <laughs> on racist. Like, see, like, back in the 60s, this was racist. So, yeah, this is like, you're like, if I went into a time machine here, is it the 70s again? Yes. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? It's just so, so out of place and so fucking ridiculous and. Mr. Tojimura totally does not look like the seams are present here. Like, this is someone dressed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's bad makeup. <laughs> and the accent is not helping anyone get sold on, on this character. Uh, even though, like, again, this is a spoiler free podcast, but. Uh, I mean, I there is no not, question yeah. that Mr. Tojimura is not. <laughs> See you next Tuesday, Catherine Murdoch. Oh, it, it totally is. I, I can't help. Like, I'm a huge fan of the Peter Sellers Pink Panther movies. Like, love them, love them. And like, all these things go through my head when I like, <laughs> "Hello, Kato, my little yellow friend." <laughs> yeah, it's. It's so like all these things that when you watch them now, you're like, oh, it's kind of racist. Yeah. <laughs> kind of uncomfortable that I'm laughing at this. And then I see this and I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. What the fuck are they doing? Yeah, I mean, all right. So it's, it's terrible. And the next episode, we'll get into more terribleness. And it's going to be the best thing that you've ever heard on this oh, show. I'm, I can't imagine it wouldn't be. Actually, the next episode is, is pretty phenomenal. Um, so, 
there's a quick meeting between Joan Chen and her associate from Hong Kong. Um, and they're like, hey, you know, uh, we're about to sign this deal. So Josie Packard's about to get her her payout. And meanwhile, uh, hey, I hope you don't have feelings for this sheriff. And she's like, I totally don't. It's weird that you would even say that. And then we cut to the double R where Hank is, has heard a knock at the door. And is going to investigate, not bothering to turn on any light other than the flashlight in his hand. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there it, he finds uh, Josie Packard's associate, not Mr. Tochimura, but uh, like a legitimate, honest-to-goodness Asian person. Yeah. Um, suddenly inside the double R with him. And there ensues a really, really bad stage fight. Yeah, it's not well done. Um, and ultimately, Hank ends up on his back. And we, if he didn't know who had sent this person, you know, if there wasn't only one other, if we subtract the completely legitimate Mr. Tojimura from the <laughs> equation, if there wasn't one more Asian person in Twin Peaks, we would never be able to track who this person might be affiliated with. But it kind of gives it away when he cuts his thumb and then talks about the blood bond, which is exactly what Hank did to Josie Packard in the previous season. Yes. Uh, although the the best part of the whole scene is Hank's high kick. Oh, it's the, yeah. It's the, like, genius. It, it is the most, like, hi-ya. Uh, <laughs> it, it is so bad and so telegraphed. It, it's kind of wonderful. Um and uh, so after the the blood brother thing, uh, the flashlight gets smashed. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we skipped over the same shit. We skipped over the scene where um, Agent Cooper shows up at uh, the roadhouse to meet the bookhouse boy uh, that is going to help him do his, his shady shit. Yeah, we skipped over the scene because, like we said earlier on, this could have been cool, but they fucked it. It's just, it, it's it's too telegraph and it's too obvious that if he's asking Harry for a bookhouse boy, and Harry stares after him, and, like, it even comes up later in the episode where he's like, hey, don't forget about the bookhouse boy thing. And as an audience member, I'm like, you know what, I got it. I understand what's happening. Also, I know it's totally Harry. Guess what? It's totally Harry that yeah. shows up. Um, and... Agent Cooper's like, but what the, but that, what, oh, Harry. Yeah, the thing that kind of infuriates me is we we know that Agent Cooper is super sleuth. That is like about six steps in front of everyone, but didn't see this coming. He's the only one that didn't see it coming. And it kind of like doesn't feel like a legitimate coop response. Kind of feels like we're, we're trying to string this scene out to be mysterious in a way that it could never be because of the telegraph kind of plainly earlier on yeah and we kind of know that they have this like sheriff truman and agent cooper have the this mutual respect for one another and all that stuff yeah it just doesn't make any sense um which is unfortunate so anywho let us uh proceed to the second episode of the evening Uh this one entitled the Orchid's Curse. Uh, 
Um, this one is directed by Graham Clifford, um, who is best known for uh, gleaming the horrible cube. scenes involving people that are supposed to be Asian. <laughs> no, uh, gleaming the cube oh, uh, is probably his his big one, um, and you know that's kind of it. Me, uh, and written by uh, Barry Pullman. Uh, who uh, directed, or not directed, but wrote um, Reasonable Doubts, uh, Nightmare Cafe, and episodes of Hercules the Legendary Journeys. Oh, amazing. So. Whole lot of Ted Raimi in there. Whole lot of Ted Raimi. You know, there are worse things than being associated with with the Hercules show with Kevin Sorbo, I would argue. Mm -hmm. I liked it, and I equally liked the the spin-off Xena. Uh, never watch. Oh, oh well, sure. Do anything to me. <laughs> I don't know exactly what Lucy Lawless is is doing, like what fetus diet she is on. <laughs> but speaking of licking children's tears, you yeah. see her on Ash versus Evil Dead, and it's like you are ridiculously she's not aged gorgeous. Yeah, she's like lit what she's doing at the moment. And it's funny you mentioned Spartacus earlier on. I'm sure she's in one of them, and I'm sure our our tits are out. And that, and they look great. Um, but yeah, essentially, her health food kick is a combination of smoothies, which have mango, pineapple, whey powder, kale, and stem cells. Right. <laughs> she's just like, I look great, eh? Because um, she, she's not English or American. No, she's, she's Australian. Or New, I think she's technically from New Zealand. She's a Kiwi. She's a kiwi. Tangerine. Uh, I can never do it. Like they don't like being called kiwis, Bob. That's do they not? Why? I'm only joking, of course they do. Oh, okay. <laughs> I listened back to our previous episode. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> and I was listening to it at work, and I legitimately choked on my coffee to the point that it came out of my nose. Um, when you were talking about, I can't remember what the, the thing was you were talking about. We said something, and you went, <laughs> that was the name of my geometry teacher. <laughs> and I was like, all oh, right. And then you went, no, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. We were the comedy about pause, the time. Bill the, Hunt. The comedy pause was perfect because, it, like, you just said that's my, my geometry teacher. And I was like, mm, and that's when I took the mouthful of coffee. <laughs> And then you're like, yeah, that's the life. That's the right. <laughs> coffee just out my mouth, out my nose. Colleagues were looking at me. I was kind of like a, a snottery mess sitting at my desk. Um, and I can't tell them it's a podcast because no one knows what a podcast is in my office. So, you know, I, thanks for that, Bo. Uh, welcome. Also, I think, like, I don't set out to hurt you. I just look at it as a happy accident. A happy bonus, yeah. Perks uh, of the job. Oh, uh, God, why would you listen to this show? Why does anyone listen to this show? I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of people listening to the show now, and I think I think the cult of what we're doing on this show is growing because more people are commenting on it now. Oh, if we can spin this into a cult. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now we're going to start to turn some money off this thing. I I think that you should be the speechwriter for the cult, and I should be its full Japanese figurehead. Oh, join the cult. 
<laughs> Buy uh, white sneakers and white jumpsuit. It is time to worship my totally legitimate accent. It's for some reason it's kind of went Italian. I know, <laughs> and, or French. I don't know what happened. It got away from me. I was like, I was riding. I was riding the back of that thing. And all of a sudden, I got kicked, and that accent just went off without me. I was like, come back, Shane. And it was like, fuck <laughs> you. I don't know what is happening anymore. It's the... <laughs> <laughs> you kind of sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger doing an impression of Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> doing an impression of an Italian Asian man. <laughs> 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 Get to the chopper. <laughs> now you will get to the chopper. Get to the chopper. Uh, so, oh god, it's gonna be a train wreck. Right, let's, uh, let's, let's, oh, let's okay. slam this. Let's see if we can. There's a whole hell of a lot of stuff that goes on in this episode. A lot of it is bitching. Let's get to it, bro. All right. So, uh, first things first. Agent Cooper uh, is waking up uh, for his 13th day in Twin Peaks um, at the Great Northern. He is um, still feeling some pain from having been shot like, you know, three episodes ago. He's doing the yoga, though. That's getting him through it. Yep. And during the process, he discovers the note that uh, Audrey Horn slipped him. Um, yeah, like a, a season ago. A whole season ago that said, <laughs> like, basically, hey, I'm going to One-Eyed Jacks. And he's like, ah, I understand now. Uh, so we now know that Agent Cooper knows where Audrey is, which is cool. Yes. So uh, into the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Station comes one Deputy Hawk. Really? Not not one? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, my headphones dropped out. What happened? Into the oh god damn it! Into <laughs> the sheriff's station comes mm -hmm. Deputy Hawk. Cacao! All right. Poor Deputy Hawk has been living on a diet of three pots of chamomile tea, which will give you the pissies, bro. Yeah, and that's—he comes in and he's like, "Sorry, sheriff, I can't be awesome right now. I need to take a leak." And yep. Sheriff Truman's like, that's fine. I got to deal with this Lucy storyline for a second. Um, you, yeah. you come back. What, what, what we get out of the brief exchange is, though, that no one matching the description of Bob has lived up in the area that Leland Palmer said. So we can chalk this up to an accurate memory. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that Leland's a bit screwy. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe something else, Bo. Perhaps... Mm. Perhaps, perhaps. I'm sorry. Went into a cake. Maybe, song. A, maybe an owl. <laughs> not what they seem. Uh, it, uh, what did you say? They're squirrels with flying contraptions. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah. They've got. They're, they're essentially they're they're squirrels if they were using the flying contraption from Hudson Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> oh. There you have a wish on a star. Gary Moon being so manager. Um, 
so agent cooper shows up uh to say hey i know where audrey is and then we we leave everything cool to go hang out with bobby shelly johnson and squiggy and squiggy is selling bobby and shelly a device that leo will use to get in and out of a wheelchair and you can it's basically a big chain device and he's like hello shoil and uh you know like hey i got this device here shoil and um it looks like a modified contraption that, that you know they're using the witch trials to dunk witches into the water yeah or it's a, a, a like a sex basket for little people yeah that's exactly what it is it's a midget sex wing and yeah i mean i know my sex wings duncan <laughs> um two stars two stars i okay i leave a lot of amazon reviews for sex wings <laughs> <laughs> the lube leaks right out i need yeah. I, I need something that's gonna pool at the bottom <laughs> one star not enough torque <laughs> right how am i supposed to thrust in this thing two stars <laughs> uh Fell out of the ceiling. One star. <laughs> Found Caught my shaft trapped and spun around for ten minutes. <laughs> Going clockwise, anti-clockwise. Felt sick. Half a star. <laughs> Found a little Debbie Brownie in the packaging. Five stars. Say <laughs> attention to detail, Bo. Say attention yeah. to it. It's small things. Small things. Uh, so this whole scene is just reinforcing the idea that, hey, they're, they're about to bilk Uncle Sucker for a bunch of money, uh, yep. and keep, uh, Vegetable Leo, Cabbage Leo at home. And meanwhile, they're, like, if they have sex on top of him, that's kind of the plan. Is just, like, we're, <laughs> we're gonna make money off this vegetable person. And and we're gonna have sex all over the place. Kinda feel that Leo has deserved every second of this. Well, you, sure. Nobody is saying that Leo's a good guy here, but you know, also Bobby and and Shelley are kind of pieces of shit too. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. So then it's trial time <laughs> at the bar, the local the local uh, roadhouse. Which I like that they have bothered to sweep all the peanuts and sawdust so that it makes an aisle towards the mm-hmm. judge. I think that's a nice touch. But uh, so basically, it's like the Palmers and Maddie and, uh, you know, like Sheriff Truman, this um, prosecutor, the uh, district attorney that showed up in the last episode, is, um, you know, the, the prosecuting attorney against Leland Palmer who is um, representing himself. And this is a bail hearing. And uh, Sheriff Sternwood, or not Sheriff Sternwood, Sheriff Truman is talking to Judge Sternwood and testifies on behalf of Leland Palmer and says like, look, he's been in this community forever. He's never done anything crazy before. Um, Obviously the trauma of losing his daughter has made him unstable, but I don't think any of us are in, in any position to judge a man's action after an event like this. Mm-hmm. And so um, Judge Sternwood is like, 
fuck it. All right. He can go home. And everybody seems pretty happy about that. Uh, oh, yeah. Deputy Andy is doing courtroom sketches, just an FYI. Um, yeah. Which is a kind of a dumb joke about, like, he's just doing the back of Leland Palmer's head. And Sheriff Truman is like, you know, if you showed more face, maybe you could sell this. And he's yeah. like, oh, thanks, Sheriff. <laughs> um, so anyway, they basically let Leland Palmer totally off the hook. Uh, yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah, but Leland Palmer's crazy. Which is why they should not let him off the hook. Oh, uh, or maybe they're thinking that two crazies cancel each other out. He is so crazy, he'd be crazy to murder anyone. Yeah, I, I love the fact that <laughs> I love the fact that when the judge met Leland, you know, for that that hearing in the previous episode, no comment about his white hair. Like, Bo, see if I hadn't seen you in a couple of months, and you were a near dear friend to me, and the first time I saw you, you were brought into the room, and you your hair was pure white. I would want to make a comment about that. And I would sing until I collapsed. Yes. And then I would be satisfied. <laughs> so. <sighs> all right. Let's deal with fucking Agent Smith and Donna for a second. So she shows up with the meals on wheels thing. And she wants to make a deal with him where he is going to read to her from Laura's diary. And in return, she is going to tell him uh, her life story, which is a thing he's into where he it's likes... literally silence of the lambs. Right. <laughs> it really is. This is fucking quick pull cruel. Agent Smith. Yeah. Agent Smith. You tell me, tell me stories, tell me secrets, but not secrets about anyone else. Secrets about yourself. I want to hear them. Tell me, Donna, have the <laughs> lambs stopped screaming? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's, it's uh, and i do quite like this scene and the reason i quite like this scene is donna's acting in it is pretty incredible she recalls a memory um of a time that she spent with laura um skinny dipping kinda um and what we imagine is i think it's her first kiss and the delivery reminds you that she is actually a really good actress. Yes, she's in, she's heavily underutilized thus far and has been a kind of bit character, chipping away at some of the weird um, in the show. But in scenes like this, you're reminded, yeah, legitimately good actress. It's a very compelling scene. The, the score in the background, uh, Bagomati's score, etc., all builds up. And it's a, it's a very powerful scene, uh, one that I like quite a bit, which is then kind of ruined by the next scene but we'll get to that well she also says hey i've got the diary now yeah and uh he's like i would rather you give that diary back to me and yep. she's like no come outside i've you know uh and she runs just like literally past his front door and uh he's like come get it and then agent smith totally freezes up like he goes into a total spasm yeah um, he's, i think we're led to believe these uh, uh agoraphobic right but like super agoraphobic 
like yeah, he kind of he kind of does the kind of the the Nosferatu pose of when the sunlight hits him. Yeah, he's like <gasps> it's like fucking like a like a cross between Nosferatu and a T Rex. She <laughs> like short stubby arms and, <laughs> and kind of slumps down, and she feels a bit gilly, which is the wrong thing to do. What you do is you make a run because you now have the diary, and if you do it now, you negate the scene that happens at the end of the episode. Right, yeah, like, fuck this guy, you, like, you know, yeah, he's better than James, but most guys are, and yeah. you've got the diary in hand, that's what you want, and take off, He, you clearly see that he cannot function outside his home. Plus, he's right beside his front door, so yeah. it's not as if you, you've taken him, you know, 500 meters from his front door and then left him to suffer in agony. Right. He's right beside his front door. He's not that far away, so he'll be fine. And creepy corn, uh, cream corn kid is probably going to drag him back into the house at some point, just, you know, out of, like, weirdness. Yeah, uh, of course, and show him a magic trick, which he didn't want, involving some other food item, which no one asked for. Uh, yeah, that, that'll happen. You can run away. Save yourself the opportunity of not seeing like an early version of Face Off at the end of this episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, anyway. Uh, but instead, uh, she's like, oh my god, Agent Smith. And he's like, I I forgot to tell you, Donna. I am a vampire. <laughs> he's uh, like, ah, Donna. We've been expecting you. <laughs> and, uh, and so she feels bad about it and blah, blah, blah. Um. So then we go back to the bar for our, our legal proceedings this yep. episode, the mini trials of Twin Peaks. And in this case, it's the trial of Leo Johnson to determine if he is competent to stand trial for uh, the arson at the mill or alternately the murder of Laura Palmer. And the uh, district attorney makes the case like, yes, he's a vegetable but the community needs an answer. Like they, they need to feel as if justice has been done. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the defense shows a couple of charts that are like, this is what a normal person's brain activity looks like. And it's a bunch of squiggly lines. It's like, this is Leo Johnson's brain activity. And it's basically just a flat line. It's like those old nineties advertisements for drugs. It's just like them standing with an egg saying, this is this is this is Leo's brain without a bullet in it. Smash! This is Leo's brain with a bullet in it. Right, or it's just a cracked egg in a pan that isn't heated. <laughs> yeah, just like a splashed egg. Um, so yeah, the the court kind of renders a judgment. Bow, and do we agree with this judgment? Yeah, they basically send him home with Shelley Johnson. But but first, we gotta we gotta talk about the bar drinks because <laughs> judge sternwood in the middle of the legal proceedings is like sheriff truman agent cooper let's let's grab a, a pop a squad at the bar real quick and let's talk about whether or not this is a good idea and he orders three black yukon sucker punches mm. which is up there in my favorite fake drink names um, the best, of course, is the Cheers fake drink, I Do Believe My Redeemer Liveth, mm. which is a great name for a drink. 
but uh, Black Yukon Sucker Punch, also quite good. Um, also a great name for a 8-inch black rubber dildo. Oh, yeah, the Black Yukon Sucker Punch. <laughs> Come <That> on. Is... <laughs> Five stars on Amazon from Bo. <laughs> Just as advertised, big and black at eight inches. Five stars. <laughs> Fits better in my bottom than my mouth. Three stars. <laughs> Return policy is sketchy. Two stars. <laughs> Mother's Day is coming up. Four stars. <laughs> Incidentally, listeners, if you want to get some money off um, this rather prestigious um, large black dildo, uh, use the code DBTP. Um, yep. <laughs> go, to, go to black, go to black dot com forward slash DBTP. And you'll yep. get twenty percent off and two extra inches. <laughs> Six stars. Lib not included. Oh no! You don't need it. You don't need it. No, it's that smooth. It's just. <laughs> also, if you've been working out back there, I don't. Why is that always in the butt with you? Um, it's so gross. I just said lube wasn't included. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, because you're going to lube up your cheeks. <laughs> like a squirrel, I'm trying to fit as much in my mouth as I can. A squirrel with painted on wings. <laughs> with, yeah. Uh, one of the owls who are not what they seem. Yeah. Just <laughs> deep throat. I've used one before. <laughs> yeah that now that's a, a sound that's gonna come from the black yukon sucker punch <laughs> who who put that in me eight inches of who oh my god i can see the packaging already <laughs> as i've said many a time this show is nothing but an idea machine. Oh man, what we are legit I see someone in some ad company somewhere hire us <laughs> do this on a whim. This is not scripted or planned. This is ad lib, motherfucker. Uh -huh. Like think if we actually cared. We <laughs> make him bank you. Yeah, I think it would be great. Like, there is some ad agency right now just burning the midnight oil to come up with a good black dildo ad yeah and it's just flowing off the top of our heads like like yep. a good tube of lube that's exactly see see just uh. saying looking for uh, looking for someone to handle some marketing campaigns listeners no be sure to include your dildo stories on the <laughs> podcast under the stairs facebook page <laughs> thanks uh, don't don't fucking touch legionpodcast.com I'll need that kind of trouble. <laughs> Facebook doesn't like that shit. Um but yeah, the podcast under the stairs. 
Tell us your, and if there's blood involved, so much the better. That's really what we're looking for. We're looking yeah. for dildo mishaps. Yeah. I purchased a knobbly Norman. <laughs> Things did not go well. The knobbly Norman sounds like the most boring dildo in the history of dildos. It's uh, all they, gnarled. Like, the knobbly Norman is going to come with a bag of crisps. <laughs> if you're lucky. Oh. Well, the knobbly Norman's going to be three inches of thin fury <laughs> no it's like three inches of gnarled so it's like it's like a, a tree stump it's like impractic impractically girthy and very snubbed <laughs> like, you know, like like try, like trying to like basically trying to enter yourself with a dinner plate <laughs> and much much like a tree stump you can tell how old your knobbly norman is by cutting it in half <laughs> Counting the rings. You don't. You don't count the inches. You count the rings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only four rings. Three stars. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. Oh, bring in the Dublin Norman. <laughs> um. You can turn it round and use it as a plate, so you can have your cake and eat it. <laughs> oh, sir. <laughs> Oh man, you are just chock full of puns tonight. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, oh, you know, but so here's the one upside of the Novelty Norman is uh, <laughs> it, it comes with its own Velcro attachment. <laughs> you can just put it like on carpet, any carpeted walls. Because honestly, if you're using the Novelty Norman, you've got you, carpeted walls. Carpeted walls. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So James is back, Duncan. Oh, fuck my life. Uh, Nadine, uh, who, as listeners may recall, believes she is an 18-year-old cheerleader at the local high school. I'm a cheerleader! (laughs) Ed! I'm in high school! Um, and... Let me me tell you, my new cheer, Ed! Give me an E! Give me a D! That's, That's it! it! <laughs> it's a short one! Uh, but James James is kind of hanging out at the house when Big Ed returns home with Nadine, who is, of course, uh, the medical term for it is insane in the membrane. <laughs> she, she is. She is. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, that's not Laura. And he's like, oh, God, fuck. I can't. <laughs> I, I know it's not. I don't know what you're doing in my house to begin with. And I feel so sorry for it. It's, it's, just, it's just surrounded by it's, fucking idiocy here, honestly. It's the Scylla and Charybdis of stupid. Uh, <laughs> this is this is this is the punishment for adultery. <laughs> it's not like it's not. It's, thou shalt not sleep with another man's wife, or they will be surrounded by idiocy in the form of fucking. Oh, Nadine, who thinks she's a she thinks she's a cheerleader, still in high school, and your dim-witted fucking, not even nephew, James, who, who totally buys that she's a cheerleader in high school. Yeah, he talks to her as if they went to school. He interacts. 
Uh, yeah, well, so yes. James has the sheer fucking gall in this scene to use the exclamation, wow. As if yeah. anything that Nadine is doing isn't like four times as reasonable as anything James has ever done on this show ever. Uh, exactly. But anyway, so Ed, Ed comes home with Nadine. Nadine is like, who are you? Do you go to the high school with me? And James is like, you're not Laura, but maybe. <laughs> and Jay, it's like fucking hell. I got, I got to burn it's us just all alive. Aging in the background, just aging horribly. He's yeah. like Dorian Gray. That's fucking seen his picture. He's just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the dude from Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade that drinks from the wrong cup. Right. Yeah. Ed, Ed chose poorly. <laughs> Yeah. And and James is like J take her Jacopi because he he helped with people who have head hurt. And <laughs> Ed was like, Well, I was gonna, but he's in Hawaii. And James is like, I don't know where that is, but I miss Laura. <laughs> James thinks Hawaii's heaven <laughs> right Laura's in That's Hawaii Laura with the angels <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile fucking Nadine wanders back into the room because the scene isn't crazy enough with the refrigerator door in her hand because she's ripped that fucker off because yeah, Nadine... Yeah, because she is Hulk. Remember, Coma Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Nadine Smash! <laughs> I'm 18 and vivacious! So, yeah, so Qu she's question, just... Question for you. Nadine offers to give you a hand job. Do you risk it? No. <laughs> for any number of reasons, and not the least of which is is her super strength. Yeah, Nadine's action figure comes with Kung Fu grip. <laughs> Look, that's included. <laughs> like, it also comes with, uh, like, a super set of magnets, so as soon as you un unbox it, like, your refrigerator <laughs> door just flies off the hinges. It's like real life! <laughs> like she's got a drawstring at the back that you pull and every phrase that says you just Ed 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 <laughs> oh god <laughs> one star <laughs> oh my this, god this toy was annoying and gave me a painful hand job oh imagine a, like a real doll Nadine Oh, I mean, somebody, some, it's a big world, Duncan. Someone, <laughs> someone there has. There is someone who has attempted to emulate a fake <sighs> Nadine with the express purpose of fucking it. <sighs> Which is also why I have a life-size Catwoman doll. Um... <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, are we talking Michelle Pfeiffer here? Are we talking Ali Berry? Where are we drawing with this one? Um, and doesn't matter. I don't look at the face. 
so bad. All right. I I feel like we have sufficiently offended people. Drawn this out. Come on, yeah, let's fire it. Let's go to, to the longest to the level. This is gonna be the longest fucking episode ever. Again. Oh, no, it's not. It's not. The, the two ago was the longest one ever. Yeah, we're gonna beat this one. We've so, still not even started doing the Asian accent, but uh, it's well here it comes. So Ben Horn takes uh, a meeting with absolutely not see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell. No. Um, repre- uh, as <laughs> pretending to be Mr. Tojomura. Yeah, Mr. Tamagotchi. Mr. <laughs> Tamagotchi life. And she's like, uh, or he, sorry. Yeah, there's a mustache here of there, Bob. This that must mean that denotes male. I love the fact that they have to blow up this suit like uh, David Byrne from Talk Making Sense or Stop Making Sense. Um, this is, I'm telling you, this is Peter Sellers and the Pink Panther. <clears throat> this is them wearing his Godfather suit. <laughs> it, I mean, it is because you have to. I mean, Piper Laurie isn't the bustiest of women, but she's a woman and has mm-hmm. breasts, and to hide those. They give her the, you know, once-in-a-lifetime outfit. <laughs> and the, like, Toxaguchi hair and jowls. And she's yeah. like, I hear you are making a ghost word a state. <laughs> and he's like, I don't think I believe that you're a man. Hey! <laughs> Maybe this a check make you think again. He says, uh, "Give you a test." <laughs> so he turns across the table. And he turns around and goes, "Ah, five million. Hmm. Right. So there is a check for five million dollars to to invest into the uh, Ghostwood Estates project. Yeah, it looks looks like a fake check. I mean, like straight away, I was like, "That that doesn't look like a real check." You're a businessman; you should know that doesn't look like a real check. Yeah, I mean, everything about this is totally bogus. I mean, she might as well be, you know, planting fake poop in the toilets. <laughs> I don't know why that would make it more fake, but anyway. So, oh god, it's just I I can't believe this got by. I, I, yeah, I'm with you on this one. As it <laughs> it's like zero effort is put into this scene at all. It's like you know, like you could have uh, in the realms of a sitcom, it doesn't actually have to be Catherine Martell or Piper Laurie dressed up like an Asian man. You can have you can have someone else. You know, have a man play this role that kind of has a similar stature to Piper Laurie and then do a reveal later on, which is literally they turn around, pull off a fake mask, and when she turns around, it's been Piper Laurie all along. Oh, my God, what a surprise, <laughs> what a shock. Yeah, but this is literally, this is literally one of the most generically racist, out-of-place nonsense it's i mean for a show like twin peaks even this scene sticks out like a sore thumb I, I, but as i like i told you like when it came on the screen i told you off here when this came on the screen, i was howling on the couch with laughter i could not stop laughing because i i had forgotten 
I, I, I can't believe I'd forgotten about this from previous times of watching it. I'd forgotten about this sub-story. It is just fucking nonsense. Yeah, it... I have a, a put for you, for you, is a test a chick. Like, uh, you're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it, it's like the surprise Piper Laurie with the fact that she had to do this accent. <laughs> She's like, I'm doing what now? Why don't you just get another actor? Just get in a costume. <laughs> it's like, what, what, what am I doing? Like, what accent? Who's this guy? Japanese? I don't, but I don't do a Japanese. I, but I don't do, I have to do a Japanese. Just kind of sound raspy. And mispronounce your L's and R's. All right, that's, that should work. Right. Didn't Mickey Rooney get in a lot of trouble for that? Uh, and they're like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. No one's going to remember this scene. No one's going to be talking about it on a podcast 25 years from now. No one. It's Kitch. <laughs> David, David Lynch, man, honestly. Retro is cool. <laughs> so, uh,. So after, obviously not see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell leaves the room. Uh, Hank comes in and he's like, that was a terrible accent. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it, it's probably see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell, but we're going to roll with this for now. And so... Uh, they get the call, the uh, or Agent Cooper shows up before Hank does, and um, Ben Horn gives him the money, the 125 grand in sequential bills, which seemed weird because I've always heard that you don't want that, but what do I know? Mm-hmm. And um, he's it's like, It's also worth noting that Bobby's also up at the hotel tailing Hank, yeah, but he's after well, because he knows that Hank shot Leo. But yeah. I don't know what his long con is on this. Yet. But yeah, but the, this scene doesn't pay off at all to anything. No, no, not at all. He's like, he's like there. We're like, all oh, right, is he going to follow him? Is he going to try and steal the money? Does he know something or whatever? This happens and it is not referenced at all in the rest of this episode. I I challenge you to find another reference to uh, M.T. Wentz yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, but M.T. Wentz is one of these characters that disappears after. One episode. Bobby's going to be in this for a while. Disappears. I, I never showed the... up. <laughs> That's what you think, Bo. Mm. Um, you don't know what it looks like. No one knows what it looks like, and he pays by cash. Um, I mean, Bobby's in the background, but there's no indication of. The last time we saw Bobby, he was, you know, trying out some sort of weird sex swing. Um, there's no indication that he. He knows who Hank is, but that's a storyline that hasn't been touched in about three episodes. And now all of a sudden he's up here at the hotel and a scene which lasts about three seconds where he's incidentally like peering around the corner in the background when Hank's walking along the corner and then that goes to nothing. Yeah. It's just... Mm. it's it, Yeah, it's a little frustrating. Um, yeah. But then but after Agent Cooper gets the money and takes off, um, Hank shows up and Ben tells him like I, I need you to tail uh, Cooper up to One Eye Jacks, and because the plan is they're going to kill Agent Cooper, or at least you know capture him and and whatnot. And uh, he says, "So if you can, I want you to bring back the money and my daughter." And and Hank's like, "Can do." And That's the order as well. 
that he, he asks it's the money first, then his daughter. Yeah. Which is which, classic Ben Horn. I mean, smoking a cigar and all that stuff. So, um, then we we put together the plan between Donna and Maddie. <laughs> this this map is fucking hilarious. It's yeah. literally a rectangle with just things written inside it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's the shittiest Visio diagram that ever was. Um, <laughs> and so the plan is uh, she's going, Maddie is going to follow Donna to Agent Smith's house while Donna is distracting Agent Smith. Um, Maddie is going to sneak in, open up his little secret hidey hole, and grab the secret diary of Laura Palmer. Um, so that plan is in motion. And then mm-hmm. up at the uh, um, One Eye Jacks is where we're going next. Um, so he's basically uh, Jean Renault, uh, is the he in this scenario, um, is putting together the final touches on his evening which is to get a spring-loaded knife strapped to his arm, which is pretty rad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, tells Blackie, like, here's what's going to go down. You're going you're gonna to basically give uh, an intentional overdose to uh, Audrey Horn. She's going to drift off into uh, the sweet release of death. And then, you know, we're going to have uh, all this money and blah, blah, blah. So, meanwhile, Whitey, who is, of course, Blackie's sister, um, it reveals that she has a knife in her boot. Uh, Blackie also helped, like, spring-load the knife, which, which is a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, anything else, really, in that scene that I'm missing, do you think? No, it's kind of it's setting up for what will be the, the piece de resistance of this episode. So really, we're we're kind of closing out another chapter of a sub story, which is probably trundled on a bit longer than it needed to. But th- we're really getting the backdrop for what will be the the kind of last third of this episode. Yeah, and w- which is the the best part of it, and by far the best part. Can't wait to talk about that bitch in hawk scene. Ka-ka! <laughs> So, speaking of maps, uh, Agent Cooper has a much sweeter one. Yeah. Um, where they're mapping out the layout of uh, One-Eyed Jacks, and they're they're plotting their incursion. And meanwhile, uh, Deputy Hawk... <laughs> swings by to, uh, to say, hey, I found the one-armed man because you told me to do it, and I'm awesome, so I did. And yeah. he's only saying, one in the show that's getting shit done, man. Just like everything that's happening off screen with Deputy Hawk is like that's the show that we ought to be watching instead of all this Bobby <laughs> <Yes>. and Shelley. <laughs> yeah, in any other in any other world, that's the show we'd be watching: The Adventures of Hawk in Twin Peaks. Yeah, I mean, uh, he strolls in. He's like, "Here's the shit you asked me to do. It's handled." Like, yeah. like Ron from Get Out is like, "Shit is handled." Yeah, and uh, gives the information, and then just strolls out. It's like, look, I got some awesome stuff to do behind the curtains. 
you guys do what you're going to do. I'll catch up with you later. No shit, I will. Uh, you know, because I got to watch out for you two knuckleheads because, mm-hmm. you know, look, the hawk flies alone, but that doesn't mean the hawk is alone. Oh. Right. Oh, I want that tattooed on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's going on my fucking tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> there is an issue with uh, Deputy Andy um, being the <sighs> interim like switchboard operator for the sheriff station. Because he's away to visit her quote-unquote brother and sister. Right. And there's, there's a phone number um, that Andy thinks is the uh the like friends or relatives that lucy is staying with who could care um and it turns out to be an abortion clinic and he's like abortion clinic (laughs) um and and that's kind of the end of the scene so (laughs) pretty much (laughs) yeah it's i mean again who cares i i hope they have a million abortions um (laughs) i hope that for everyone i hope everyone gets to have a million abortions if you get an abortion, then you get an abortion, and you get an abortion, and you get an abortion, and abortions for everyone, yay! Right, we, there, go to uh, abortions.com forward slash DBTP. <laughs> you get 20% off your, your first abortion. If it's your second, then you're just a slut. Um, yeah. So. If you don't chip in any money, it only gets 20% done. <laughs> you don't want that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That is rough. You don't get to pick the 20% either. It's just one-fifth oh, of that baby is gone. You don't get to pick. Um, it's terrible. So, uh, oh, yeah. So, there's a quick bit where Maddie shows up at the diner to pick up coffee for... Um, uh, so let's not gloss over this bit spectacularly destroys James. Well, she just gives him the, like, complete cold shoulder. Yeah. You know, it's just, like, um, you know, like, hey, you you see Donna? And she's like, no, I haven't. And he, he's like, what? you're buying coffee. You, why are you buying coffee? You should have coffee at home. And, uh, she just she does she's like look uh, I'm I'm buying my coffee I gotta go I can't talk to you right now, rightfully so like that should be everyone's reaction. <laughs> and then well, like, that's everyone's reaction once you've spoken to him, but before you speak to him, when you walk in and you see him in the room, you go, oh, fuck. Yeah, just oh shit, what are you doing in my house? I just <laughs> came in, um, and anyway, so he leaves behind her because everybody's got to get rescued. Uh, although maybe not this episode. Um, but now at agent Smith's house, Donna is, this is the scene you were talking about earlier where, um, she, she gives him the, the story about yeah. the, uh, the skinny dipping and whatnot. Meanwhile, Maddie is sneaking in. She's and, in the bushes drinking the coffee. Yep. That's why she needed coffee. She needed coffee to keep her awake. Well, sure. I mean, especially uh, if, if James is going to be following behind her. Like, yeah, he'll push or, out with the light. 
<laughs> That's exactly what it is. You need coffee to keep you awake or to throw scaldingly on someone who's stalking you, like James. Hey, you look like Laura. Oh, you <laughs> <running. laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> it's like it's like throwing salt at Gail the Snail from Always Sunny. Just just a genius episode, by the way. Um so uh let's let's get to where the, the cool shit's happening. Let's go to One Eye Jacks, where uh Sheriff Truman engages in a little bit of badassery of his own. So here's uh the the move that I learned from Twin Peaks. Is if you need to take someone out, what you do is you grab them by the scrote. Their mouth is going to open up, and you immediately shove like a uh, a ball gag. Rubber ball, yeah, rubber ball minus the gag. You just just rubber ball into their mouth. Yeah. Then put tape over that, and yeah. then use their head to open the nearest door near you. Yeah. So you've done all this to silence them, and then you bash their head to the door, making a lot of noise. And then you get your buddy to help you carry them through the door and then drop you, also making a lot of noise. I'll, I'll tell you, though, what I like about this. Uh, first of all, I'd like to point out how much bondage talk there has been in this episode. Um, <laughs> feels like things are really steaming up around here. kind of feels like how it felt when we did that episode about... Um, what was the name of the movie? Uh, the Duke of Burgundy. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just all... Pee in the mouth. Yeah. Talk, talked about a lot of pee in the mouth. It kind you of know, feels like we're back on that level. I like that. I have, yeah, I have thought more about that movie recently, not because I'm in the mood for a Trumpian golden shower, but yeah. uh, just I, like how good that movie was. I, it's I'm, fucking amazing. It's actually amazing. I'm, I, I'm with you on that one. I watched it uh, about five weeks ago because um, insomnia, like three in the morning, shoved that movie on and legitimately was blown away by just like once again the visuals for that movie are just so incredibly stunning and if anyone hasn't went back please go back and check out that episode of our show where we did um what was the movie you did uh, uh the, i want to say it was harold and maude no 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 no. it was the a uh, it was the the one with because uh, the show was for romance oh it's modern romance that's it modern yeah. romance so we did modern romance which was an excellent movie yeah. And we, we also covered um, this little movie by a guy called Pierre Strickland called The Duke of Burgundy. And that movie does it. That's what I love about his movies is they stick with Barbarian Sim Studio was exactly the same for me. Yeah. Um, the more I've thought about that movie after watching it, the more I I, I, feel, I feel that as like it kind of invades a little bit your conscious, um, which is pretty cool. But yeah, there, there, there was a lot of kind of bondage-esque talk, which was aptly placed for that movie. Um, funnily enough, We've talked more bondage in this ep- uh, this episode of this show, um, and there hasn't really been that much. This is maybe the first indication that you could maybe use, like, oh, he put a ball in his mouth, like a ball gag. Um, I don't know. There's been sex wings and dildos. Uh, we've made that up, though, <laughs> in fairness. Like, that, that swing is not, not a sex swing. We said it looked like a sex swing. Yeah, but and we're... The we're, name of a drink I said sounded like a dildo. So, but we're I bouncing we're off now... the vibe of the show, though. Like, I'm not yeah. saying it's, like, it's it's subtext, Duncan. It's all under the surface. <laughs> like, and also, all right, so. Like, James is, like, James's intelligence. All under the surface, all hidden. Locked. <laughs> Trapped I've, under ice. 
I sat on a dildo once. It confused me. Uh, so, I like the idea of a sexually confused James. It's not. It wasn't bad. It was good. But I think. I think Ben Stiller's like character in Zoolander. I think Derek Zoolander is modeled off James. You know, it. He fucking looks like James, does, and he constantly has that look. That power. Magnum is James's face. Yeah, I, you may not be wrong about that. That's that's pretty good. Um, so I, 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 when this show drops, I'll do a side by side comparison meme. It'll be it'll be hilarious. Okay, uh, you know, I mean, we need science. Clearly, <laughs> this this, uh, this podcast is about nothing other than science and facts. Uh, <laughs> right so we're storming the building yes so uh agent cooper and uh and and sheriff truman are cruising through the hallways of one-eyed jacks um we're gonna do some cutting back and forth here because in the meantime the uh the tray is being prepared for audrey uh including the clean burning propane <laughs> that is finally gonna uh send her on her way to shuffle off this mortal coil to Valhalla. yeah uh, where they will raise a glass together. And so Donna is uh, back at uh, Agent Smith's, and they have gone from her telling this story about her, you know, having her, her kiss and whatnot. And they're talking about moisture, Duncan. Talk about heat and humidity and how orchids yeah. need it and how orchids look like vaginas and there are Georgia O'Keeffe paintings everywhere. And they're talking about the delicate petals of a flower. Now, listen, I'm no writer, Duncan, but <laughs> I, I am, le- I have been led to believe that when you are talking about petals and humidity, uh, in a scene where two people are staring longingly at each other, you're probably talking about sex. Yeah. Uh, and um, my wife walked in when I was watching this scene and asked me for something, and I said labia, <laughs> <laughs> vaginas. <laughs> shaved or otherwise what are you talking about <laughs> 70s bush like do you have vagina Tourette's all of a sudden just the worst kind of Tourette's yeah like that. wizard sleeve yawning hippo it's it's like the old joke uh um <laughs> what do we want uh equality for sufferers of Tourette's when do we want it cunt um <laughs> so agent smith and donna are finally getting down to a little lip wrestling mm-hmm. and he's like donna you are appealing to me in a number of ways perhaps our lips would be interesting together <laughs> and she's like all right and so he wanders off for a second. And meanwhile, like Donna's given Maddie the go ahead of like, Hey, you need to, you know, get in here and start, uh, going through some shit. So we go from there, but so Maddie's on her way into the place. Then we go to one eyed Jack's where agent Cooper, uh, finds Whitey in the hallway mm-hmm. And is like, hey, where's Audrey Horn? She's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he gives her like the arm, like bends her arm behind her back. What is that called? Is there a name for that? 
Uh, I don't know. All right. Just, just the restraining someone. All that's right. That's what I would say. Science. Um, <laughs> and so she takes him to Audrey's room. And while Agent Cooper is, uh, just, you know, like trying to free a very sexy, drugged up Audrey Horn, um, like fighting Whitey. Every single origin is body to molest. He's just fighting it. Right. It's, it reminded me of the scene from Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid where <laughs> uh, Steve Martin feels up Rachel. Oh, what's her name? Um, the Australian actress. Mm-hmm. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, I can't think of her last name. Oh. She was in a really good, like, made-for-TV Australian movie about uh, where she was a teacher and protecting a bunch of kids from uh some some brigands. Um, mm-hmm. anyway, but he's feeling her up. Like, listeners, uh, just fill us in. Let us know who we're talking about because clearly <laughs> we don't know. And. <laughs> She wakes up while he's feeling her up, and he's like, sorry, when you fell, your breasts went all out of whack. <laughs> and, and then does the, like, their thing with his hands, like he's gotten them back in, in working order. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I was thinking about in this scene. Um, but Whitey, um, which is not her name, and we should never have called her that in the first place, <laughs> pulls the knife out of her boot. And goes after Agent Cooper because, but because Agent Cooper is a super sleuth, he has seen in a mirror that she has the knife and is raising it over her head like she's in a 1920s silent film. Mm -hmm. And without looking, Duncan grabs her arm as she's swinging downward and then spins and punches her right in the gut like a dude. Yeah, I was like, dude, that's not cool. But. I'll tell you what, if a woman is stabbing you or attempting to stab you, you get to punch him in the gut. Yeah, but Agent Cooper easily overpowers her. Oh yeah. yeah. I think he I think he can take the knife off her and you know tell her to sit in the corner, threaten yeah. her with the knife without punching her in the stomach. He does it though, because he's the coop, he's found his love, and he's gonna save her, puts Whitey down. <laughs> um Right. And that's probably part of it too, is like, hey, you've been drugging up my would-be girlfriend yeah and see, see what state that she's in emotions are gonna run high sure i mean he didn't pull a leland palmer and just go murder the first french canadian <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he could get his hands on so <laughs> cooper like punches on the stomach and puts a pillow over her face right like, <laughs> like cuckoo's nester um <laughs> and <laughs> picks up a water fountain tosses it out the window of one-eyed jacks <laughs> but he gets audrey horn puts him over his shoulders and then exits meanwhile i think we're still are we still in yeah we're still at one-eyed jacks where because yeah. we we're gonna end on donna and maddie that's right so we have um we have uh truman looking through um a window at uh jack renault and Blackie having this conversation and she's getting ready to go and he's like ah, ah, ah. we don't finish our conversation we do not finish the conversation with us a kiss give me a kiss a French kiss oh. <laughs> so they they, they make <laughs> they make the kiss um, and it's getting a little bit heated and a little bit passionate and then all of a sudden pa kills her yeah it, with his, his spring loaded knife 
Yeah, and right in the gut. Then uh, Sheriff Truman, who has seen all this, is kind of peering through the window, and Jean Reno sees him. And there's a couple of shots fired uh, from Jean Reno. And uh, then, you know, uh, Jean Reno takes off before uh, Sheriff Truman can really fire back. And yeah. uh, so they're, they're hauling ass out of there. Sheriff Truman, um, Agent Cooper, and Audrey Horn tossed over Agent Cooper's back. And then they run into some random guard uh, who... Big dude at the bottom of a set of stairs holding a gun. He has got the upper hand. There is no escape for our heroes. Our heroes are trapped. Tells him to turn around. And then what happens, Bo? <sighs> Just as Agent Cooper and uh, Sheriff Truman are turning around, the gunman feels uh, the sting of steel in his back. <laughs> falls face first onto the ground and who should be at the top of the stairs deputy motherfucking hawk Ca-caw! oh say can you see by the hawk's early light Ca-caw! Oh my goodness! And like he's he's all like hot casual. He's got kind of he's his... total hot casual. This is how hot rolls in the evenings when he's you know he's just chilling. He's just chilling being casual hawk. Um, and this is like an ornate machete motherfucker in the back of this dude, which he is thrown yeah. from the top of a flight of stairs with precision right into the back of this dude, right into his him spine, down. like shuts him down. Yeah, like severs the, the the spinal column. This dude died instantly. There was no like pain or anything. Like this is a clean kill. This is some assassin type shit. Well, um, that's. I mean, that's how Deputy Hawk rolls. Like he's got his cool jacket with tassels. Some some. Oh, he's amazing. But but the thing about Deputy Hawk, for those that don't know out there, is do you know what Deputy Hawk's full name is, Bo? I, I I do not. I'm sad to say his his full name is Deputy Tommy Hill. Nickname Hawk, Tomahawk. Oh shit! Oh, that's right. Duncan did a little bit of research. Tomahawk. Oh my god! It's just like the greatest oh, thing oh. ever. I'm gonna need a minute, Duncan. <laughs> I didn't think that character could be any better. Yeah, it's just so the greatest beautiful. character ever. He's just the greatest character ever. And the kid that comes down the stairs is like, ah, you know, glad that I tailed you guys, pull you, you know, always having to look after you crazy kids. Right. He's like, just like, yay. Yeah. Like, look, I knew you, you asked, like, oh, what does he say? I, I, you know, it's a good thing you two can't keep a secret, especially from fucking Tomahawk over here. Cacow! Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, as well, they're all like, I've just murdered someone in cold blood. And, you know, they're just like, <laughs> and then they'll walk up the stairs and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? So they they make a beeline for, for the car. But meanwhile, in the bushes, a certain Hank is there and Hank gets on the phone to Benjamin Horn and says, Hey, Agent Cooper just left with your daughter. And, uh, but Jean Renault is also there and puts a gun to Hank's head and he's like, ha, ha. 
what do we have here? And pulls out his ID and he's like, Agent Ludwig, he is a fat man. You are no fat man, no? <laughs> and and then that's kind of it. So, and he's like, but wait, I can set this whole place up with clean burning propane. <laughs> no, no. You have done me wrong. Um, <laughs> so then we, we jump back to Agent Smith's house. Um, where, surprise, surprise, the detailed plan, the internal plan that we saw earlier on, has unfortunately gone awry because Maddie doesn't understand what she's supposed to be doing at the book shelf. It's like the plan didn't go into detail, like Thanks you have to, to the, turn a bit at the, the side. awesome map. <laughs> It's like, you would think as well, if you were explaining that to someone, see if you had your drawn, hand-drawn map, um, your blueprints, your architectural drawn blueprints of this house, drawn by hand by like a six-year-old. And you're sitting down, you're speaking that. See, when you were explaining things out, like this is a bookshelf here, you'll know it's a bookshelf because in that box, I wrote the words bookshelf. Yeah. You, You would think you would say to them, by the way, to access them, there's a little knob on the side that you have to turn around and it'll open it. But apparently, that never got mentioned because Maddie doesn't know what she's doing. It'd be like saying to someone, right, you need to you need to hijack the safe in this, this room. Um, but you, you tell them the safe's in the room without telling them the safe's behind the picture. Or without giving them the combination either. So, like, she's doing the, the old kind of, no, in the Turn the thing at the side, like doing all the hand signals, and Maddie's like, "Huh?" It's like, and and the plan it said bookcase. I'm at the bookcase. She's not at the side. At go to the side. So she goes around the side, but that's when Agent Smith comes back, and she tries her best. Or Donna tries her best operation distraction by saying, "Like, look, tell me about these white orchids." Also, how about we kiss? And he's and um. He's not having it because he clocks Maddie, freaks out, um, looks down at his table, and there is a, an array of different lethal weapons, including a pair of secateurs. Also, a, a Joe tr- Pesci. Chris Rock <laughs> is on the table, which disappoints everyone because he should be better. They fuck you at the drive through ball. They fuck you. They fuck you. They fuck you. know, you got a miles away before you realize you're just being fucked. Yeah, it's all very disappointing. Uh, pretty much right. everything <laughs> after the second lethal weapon that Agent Smith sees just it yeah. doesn't look good. Um, yeah. But the first two lethal weapons, oh. totally, totally acceptable. Totally awesome. That's uh, another reference to lethal weapon on the show. I'm digging this. We're all coming <laughs> full circle, front to back. This is like the this is like the bookend of a podcast here. It's A to Z, Alpha to Omega, bro. Alpha to Omega. Um, so yeah, so um, he picks, he opts for the mini fork, <laughs> the mini fork of doom. It's basically like a claw. It's a um, it's a garden, uh, not a trowel, but uh, uh, like a rake. Yeah, yeah, garden rake. So it's like if, if for those out there that like a bit of the Italian jelly, it's like the weapon used in Blood and Black Lace by Mario Baba. Um, so it's this kind of three pong kind of claw rake thing it's handheld as well so he lifts this up he goes through it in the room and he's like do you want to know secrets is that what you want to know do you want to know secrets and then 
he gets the claw and then does like a scene from Face Off. So he just starts clawing at his face, talking about Laura's death, um, terrifying the ever-loving fuck out of, of Donna and Maddie. And that's where the scene closes. Uh, and Well, he says, uh, if you want to know secrets, I'll give you the answer to the ultimate secret, which is the name of the person who kills you. Yeah, and then and they obviously are terrified, yeah. um, terrified, and that's when the episode finishes. Yep, I will draw this rake across my face, <laughs> um, and thus ends the longest episode of Duncan and Bo come correct. Yeah, well, I mean, is it really? That's up there. It's yeah, a, it's yeah up there. It, the the last couple have been just ridiculous, but yeah, but um, we got. Uh, just some amazing hawk action it this i mean this is the story of season two right which is there's some shit we don't care about and then there's also some absolutely incredible moments yeah it's it's the uh, watching twin peaks season two is like andy dufresne tunneling out of shawshank there is a lot of shit you have to wade <laughs> through but there's eventual freedom and a boat yeah that's true. Okay. Um, so uh, we're no further along in the death of Laura Palmer. We have forgotten all about that. Um, yeah. Other than, you know, Leo Johnson, who didn't, looks like he didn't do it in the first place. And, and Agent Cooper says as much to Judge Sternwood, um, is going home. But nobody else, is, I mean, we're trying to get to the diary of Laura Palmer as if that's going to reveal something. Yeah. Um. And that, but that has nothing to do with what's going on with Agent Cooper. Instead, they're just worried about rescuing Audrey. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a mixed bag. But man, Hawk showing up to throw that that Bowie knife is. Yeah. Two, two, the two things about this particular episode that are absolute bitching is Hawk obviously showing up to save the day because there was never any doubt Hawk would do that, and the fact that Twin Peaks is finally. Finally, given us opportunity to open up the racist door, which has been closed and locked for the most of this recording, but now it's open, and anything goes when the racist door's open, Bo. Anything goes. Oh man, it is, and we've got more to come. Of course we do. Of, of course we do. Definitely, one hundred percent. Not see you next Tuesday, Catherine Martell, doing the Asian equivalent of blackface. <laughs> yeah, hello. Uh, me Rocky some me Rocky some rice please oh <laughs> uh, most honorable bin take most honorable chick um <laughs> uh, it's it's only gonna get worse um <laughs> all right so let's uh let, let's thank everyone for listening you have earned your <laughs> your black badge. badge yeah yeah black badge <laughs> Oh, it's just, it's, it's hard to watch, but it's also like, what's funny about it isn't the, the fact that it's racist. It's the fact that it's so brazenly racist <laughs> Yes, in a primetime a... network television show that doesn't seem that old until you realize like, oh, that was a perfectly acceptable portrayal of Asians. Mm -hmm. I think this, the thing of it is that like, I think. If they tried to underplay it or like make it a bit more understated, I think it'd be more offensive. I think the fact that they just literally went so over the top with it, I think they can almost get away with it. Or you just do what you recommended earlier, which is to 
have another actor play that role that's of the same rough body type and then you just do the reveal where like oh i was wearing a mask and you see him pulling up his face that's what you that's what you do in a sitcom yeah yeah, that's what you do in any other sitcom. The the fact that it didn't happen here is just bizarre. It, um, it is. But yeah, that happened in this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, in terms of, if we're doing very quickly, once again, we, we like to, where possible, try and touch back to the fact, and remember our listeners out there, that this show is about the, solving the murder of a girl. Um, in terms of how much actual headway we've made into the investigation, the only thing we've been able to do is disprove what happened in the previous episode. So in the, like, in the previous show that we recorded, um, all hopes were pinned on Bob being a person that lived up near a lake, and it's taken us two episodes to basically disprove that theory. Well, it and took, we're back to square one. It took Hawk about 90 seconds, Yeah, but it <laughs> we're, took we're, we're, Twin Peaks <laughs> as a show yeah. two episodes. Yeah, so we're back to square one again. Like we we know that Bob is most likely our killer. We do not know where Bob is. Right. It's yeah. It's all the one. Our man is missing. Right. Um. Yeah. So maybe these questions will be answered next week. <laughs> Perhaps. And uh, the second episode we will be dis- discussing next week is a Mark Frost, David Lynch episode. So, Oh, yes. We are, We're going to we are, return back to the Red Room real soon as well, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, so shit's about to, to pop off. Um, Duncan. Yes? Should people uh, bizarrely want to hear more from either of us? They shouldn't, but they, they probably will because I mean, they're masochists. Right, no argument here. But should they want to do so... Where could they? Well, to check out me, you can check out the podcast Under the Stairs. I show that I put out weekly at tputzcast.com. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast is on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, and SoundCloud. And we're a proud member of legionpodcast.com. Yes, and uh, I would point out um, coming within the next, I would say, week or so, uh, you will have the return of Devour the Podcast that is in the can, as they say in the yep, business. Looking forward to that. Looking um, forward to that quite a bit. Uh, it was pretty fun, I have to admit. Also ran long, surprisingly. Um, that would not surprise me. It's, it's not as if you've not done a show together in, what, a year? Yeah, it's been about that. We, um, again, unsurprisingly, um, have no idea how long it's been. So <laughs> between the three of us, we were like, I don't know. It's been a while. That's what we know for sure. Um, that is returning. There is also, uh, the BD clinic, which mm-hmm. is also from, uh, one David Anders host of devour the podcast. Um, the first episode of that is available right now on legionpodcasts.com and the, uh, uh, companion iTunes feeds. Um, and, uh, it, it's looking forward to that one. Cause the, 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 the uh, unlikely pairing in my mind, but one that I'm looking forward to listening to of David Anders Jr. and longtime supporter of pretty much every show on Legion Podcast Network. I mean, um, I I met Vanessa McHenry through Devour the Podcast. She'd been listening to your show long before my show existed. So the fact that her and David have got that show running together um, is going to be a ton of fun. And the first movie they're discussing, Showgirls. So you know it's going to be pretty hilarious. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. 
And also in that episode, they discuss the first of a series of books uh, revolving around Five Nights at Freddy's, the oh. horror game. So, um, spoilers, uh, it sounds like that book is terrible. Um, <laughs> so, uh, l- <laughs> listeners, thank you again for, for sticking with us. And I got to say, uh, on, on a completely serious level even though this is going to sound uh totally unserious the amount of feedback and jokes and and people kind of quoting offhanded comments that we make back to us uh from the the past handful of episodes has been wonderful please keep it up um if you're enjoying things then then certainly let us know it seems like it it seems like you are and Mm -hmm. i don't know what that says about you as a listener um it it's not good but you know it's something that we've all got to work through together so um yeah thanks thanks for being with us and and duncan do you want to do you want to kiss up to our audience <laughs> no i hate them all uh, no Fair enough. Uh, thank you <laughs> thank you very much again it really does like we, we're having a, i mean i we're recording these kind of late now and um i would I can't think of a better way to spend like a night than than sitting down talking about some absolute nonsense um, and have a ball covering a show that I think genuinely is a really exciting show. And we are so close to coming back now on on the TV and, and everything's awesome. I, I'm just, I'm having an absolute ball with this one. And even though I thought I think we said at the beginning, you know, season one's really good, season two is kind of rough. At the moment, even though it is kind of rough, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying talking about these episodes more than I did about the ones that were were really amazing, which is kind of funny. I think it's. I think it's getting the shows are getting more ludicrous, and you guys are feeling it. So yeah. keep feeling it. You feel the fire, and uh, and we'll just keep burning. That's uh, <laughs> fire. since the world's been fire. turning. <laughs> Don't do it. Fire what with me, bro? Fire what? Um. Also, please visit our sponsor, Black Yukon Sucker Punch Dildos. Uh, their motto is always, eight inches. Ow. Um, eight inches of whoo. Of whoo. Um, yeah, I couldn't help but notice both episodes, this one and last week's episodes, have finished with some sort of joke about anal insertion. Last week it was about uh, Bob weird. Ross. <laughs> Bob Ross, we're bear. <laughs> <laughs> still, still be my favorite thing that's ever been recorded in the history of podcasts. It, yeah, there was something it real special. Like Silver Fiston. Uh, Silver Fist pickups, also a very good band. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Seriously, everybody. Uh, have a have a great time until we talk to you next week. And uh, thanks to Duncan as always for being here. Um, and good night, everybody. Say good night, Duncan. Bye.
Right. 